0: It's 8.35, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ, broadcasting from the Wisconsin State Fair. A little bit wistful. This is my last broadcast of the 2017 State Fair. Always fun to be out here. Let me just clarify something. Um, We we gave the stock market numbers. The Dow was down over 200 points yesterday and concerns about North Korea. It's actually opened up. Um, The Dow right now is up about 50 points. Um, NASDAQ is up about 17 or 18. So for people who follow those things, um, yesterday, a bad day in the stock market. Again, it's fears over North Korea, uh, But today, the numbers appear to be rebounding at the start. All right, we are broadcasting live from the Wisconsin State Fair. Huge line in front of me right now. It's it's Patrick Cudahy Day. People lined up to sample Patrick Cudahy's new Black Forest bacon. Huge line. Mm, must be good. I guess if yes, you're going to stand in line for free stuff, Standing in line for free bacon is pretty good. All right, we start off today's show like we start off every show. Three big things. Big story number one. And this is something that you, you may not know. I actually became aware of it a number of years ago when I was broadcasting down at Summerfest. And for some reason... I was. It was during Summerfest, and even though Summerfest didn't open until noon, I was doing the the early mornings this slot, the eight thirty noon, and we were broadcasting from the Summerfest grounds, even though even though the grounds weren't open. I'm not exactly sure why we were doing that, but I would go down there. So you get down there really early, like six o'clock in the morning, six thirty, seven o'clock in the morning, and it's very interesting when you're on the grounds of either Summerfest or the State Fair. Um, after hours before the fair opens because what you understand it's like a little city. What goes on is when everybody else leaves, when they close the grounds at 11 or 12 or wherever and they get everybody out off the grounds, what happens is a giant workforce moves in and works through the night, essentially cleaning up the grounds. So when they open at 8 o'clock the next morning, for example, at State Fair, it's it's clean. You don't see all the mess that the 100,000 people who were there the night before had left. The same thing is true at Summerfest. So I remember being down at Summerfest. And just watching, and a lot of the people that were cleaning up the grounds were typically young people that were hired by Summerfest that were going around and they were picking up trash. There was also a large contingent of people, inmates, people in orange jumpsuits from the House of Correction who were... Again, working the grounds as well, cleaning it up. Now, I mean, I'd watch some of this, and I don't mean to generalize, but I'm not sure that the guys were working particularly hard. But these were, it was apparently some program they had at the House of Correction where they would bring over a number of inmates and allow them to, I don't know if they got credit or got money or whatever they did, but they would wander around the grounds cleaning up, and then they would disappear. So I thought, oh, that, that's that's kind of interesting. And, of course, at Summerfest, um, the, the grounds are closed, and you're not interacting with anybody other than um, other employees all right here's the story and apparently they do the same thing at state fair here's the thing as reported the story as reported by fox six a teenage girl says she was harassed last monday by a group of inmates cleaning up overnight at the wisconsin state fair the girl was in at three a.m. to set up for her agricultural competition when it happened now let me back up of course at the state fair um, there, there's stuff going on all, all night. You have people that sleep in the animal barns. Um, you have people, if they are showing off their animals, that you are getting ready for the competitions, you, you got to get down here in, in the middle of the night. So there's all this interaction going on. All right, here's what happened. Uh, the teenager says that um, she's from the south central part of the state um, about three in the morning she and her family they get down here to start you know setting up for this competition she says around five o'clock she goes over to use the bathroom at the Coliseum on the way she sees a cleaning crew and men begin in in her words um, men begin harassing her um, uh, they start asking for her name, asking what she was doing, and they start following her. She said a State Fair police officer saw what was going on, went into the bathroom, and then escorted her back to the barn. Alright, State Fair officials have confirmed that at the time, 26 Milwaukee County inmates were cleaning the Coliseum at the time. Here's what State Fair says in their statement. A 17-year-old female was walking past the Milwaukee County House of Correction inmates who were on a work assignment at the west end of the Coliseum. One or two of the inmates asked her what her name was and where she was going. Two inmates walked a short distance behind her as she went to the women's restroom inside the west side of the Coliseum. The female, she said, felt uncomfortable, but none of the inmates made physical contact with her. A State Fair public uh, public safety officer saw the female walking from the barn, saw the inmates walking towards her, didn't hear what they were saying, went into the restroom and escorted her back to the barn, um, the two house, of, two house of Correction guards were assigned to that area for overnight cleaning and were in the Coliseum at the time. A group of 26 inmates, so you've got two guards, 26 inmates, were assigned to clean the Coliseum from east to west, and the guards were following the inmates as they cleaned. Apparently not following them that closely. Um, The inmates are low-risk Huber inmates who can be released into the community in civilian clothes to work. The inmates who work at the fair are not in civilian clothing due to the dirty job assignment. They are issued House of Correction clothing for the job, presumably like these orange jumpsuits. The House of Correction transports the inmates back and forth and assigns guards to ensure supervision during the inmate work assignments. Apparently not close supervision. The House of Correction is looking into which inmates asked the girl the questions as to her name, where she was going, because this is a violation of their work assignment rules. Police Department investigated the incident and found no violation of any criminal law or administrative code. State Fair says it's our understanding that this inmate program has been instituted for a number of years at other locations like the Milwaukee County Zoo and Summerfest, but uh, they can't confirm that. Okay, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. So here you have the situation, middle of the night, you've got a large group of inmates from the House of Correction, only a couple supervisors, and you've got, in this case, a 17-year-old girl who's walking around going in to use the bathroom, and you have a couple of the inmates who decide that they want to make comments to her and chat her up, Um, ultimately, and all's well that ends well. State Fair police officer sees this going on, escorts the girl back, no problem, you know, she wasn't assaulted or anything like that. But it does raise the question, this is big story number one, should we be using this type of labor to clean up facilities, especially if these inmates are going to have the opportunity to, you know, in this case, interact with kids? 414-799-1620. 414-799-1620 that is the academic mortgage talk and text line is it time for state fair to take a hard look at whether or not it might just be simpler instead of bringing house of correction inmates in maybe just hire a couple more people to do the cleaning in the coliseum 414-799-1620 what do you think that's what we discuss we're back in just a couple minutes it's 8:43 this is Jeff Wagner you're listening to W News Radio 620 WTMJ as we broadcast live from the Wisconsin State Fair it's 8.47, Jeff Wagner, 6.20 WTMJ. Up to this point, only one local reporter has been able to get an interview with the Foxconn CEO. How did he pull it off, and what did he learn that no other journalist has as of yet? Find out during Scafidi and Billstat 12.15. They are broadcasting live from the Wisconsin State Fair, sponsored today by Wasco Windows. Here's how I look at this story. First of all, I don't have a problem with using inmate labor to do things I mean, to me, it it just, it only, it makes sense. You've got a bunch of people sitting around their butts at the House of Correction. If the choice is having them sit around their butts, playing on their butts, playing cards and watching TV, or getting them out and trying to do public service stuff, like, all right, helping to clean up the grounds at State Fair or Summerfest, or picking up road trash by the side of the road, or helping clean up the parks or whatever, I don't have a problem with that. Matter of fact, I think it is a positive use of time, And I think it's good for the inmates, it's good for everybody. It's a win-win situation. Here's the problem, though, and I don't fault the State Fair over this, but I do fault the supervisors at the House of Correction. If you are going to bring people out, put them in a situation where they're going to be, put inmates in a situation where they're going to be interacting with the public, especially in the middle of the night when you know that there are going to be, in this case, kids, 17-year-olds, for example, you need to have better supervision if you can't supervise the inmates so they are not going to stalk chat up um, try to hit on harass describe it however you want some 17 year old girl that's here with her family going to the bathroom while they're setting up stuff for their agricultural show then what happens is, is you need to reassess whether the program is going to work or you need to reassess what the guards are doing i mean 26 inmates two guards Obviously the guards were not doing their job as far as appropriately supervising these particular inmates. So I don't have a problem necessarily with using inmate labor. I think that's a decent idea. I don't have a problem with them necessarily doing it at the state fair, but this is where I think what has to happen. It's got to be the house of correction officials who are answering the question, you know, what's going on with the guards because if you can't if you can't figure out a way to control the inmates Well then, you you should have to discontinue the program. And if I was CEO of Summerfest or I was the CEO of the State Fair, these are the questions I would be asking. Hey, we're more than willing to continue this program. It's great. It's a win-win situation all around, but we can't have this happen. And maybe what you need to do is maybe you need to increase the guard-to-inmate ratio. I don't care what you're going to do, but it is absolutely unacceptable, at least in my opinion, that you have seven, seven 17-year-old girl who's here in the middle of the night, you know, setting up for the agricultural show, goes to the bathroom, room and ends up getting harassed by people from the House of Correction who are supposed to be cleaning up the grounds, and the guards don't notice that this is going on. It was a state fair patrol officer, a police officer, who noticed that these people were stalking her and then ended up getting her back safely. I'm not saying that she would have been assaulted, but at the same time, these inmates, if they're going to be here and they're going to be doing the type of work that they're supposed to be doing, well, then there should be somebody guaranteeing that they are not out there harassing 17-year-olds in the middle of the night, so I don't I don't fault state fair at all for this. Um, I don't fault the program necessarily, but if you're going to implement the program, you have to be in a position where you've got enough guards to supervise the inmates, or arguably, you do a better job of selecting. Who the guards are gonna be, I mean, or who the inmates that you're gonna release are um, our text line need better quality guards. Where were they when this happened? Well, yeah, maybe, but of course, there's only two of them. there's twenty six inmates. You can make the argument that well these are these are low risk inmates, so we can't watch them all the time. Well, yeah. I understand you can't watch them all the time, but if you're going to bring them out to a place like Summerfest or State Fair in the middle of the night, you've got to be in a position where you watch them a little bit. And again, I don't want to over-dramatize this. It wasn't like the woman, the girl was assaulted, but at the same time, um, this, I, I, you know, she's been made to be uncomfortable, and I know exactly what happened. I mean, yeah, I, I can just imagine what happened. You got a couple of these losers who, you know, nobody's watching them. They see this girl walking past, so they decide to try to, you know, chat her up. You know, really? Uh, let's talk to Dennis in Sussex. Dennis, you're on six twenty WTMJ. Good morning. You
1: know, I, I just, I think I, I agree with you that I don't think the program is necessarily bad, but it has something to do with the supervision, and towards yeah. that end. Isn't the isn't the sheriff still in charge of the house of correction? No,
0: no I don't think he is. No, I know I oh, okay. he's in charge of the jail. I think they took the house of correction away from him. I'm willing oh, okay. to be corrected. But, well, but
1: not notwithstanding. I, not, not I, I think the, the issue is that you need to find out well what are the parameters that they have for, you know, the ratio between guards and inmates when they go out on these little excursions, okay? And and like you said, you know, if at Summerfest there's a lot less chance for, you know, personal right. interaction as opposed to at state fair. And obviously they need to have, you know, a higher ratio of right. yeah,
0: Well, that, that, That's right. That's, that's, I mean, thanks for the call. That's kind of what struck me because the statement is – now again, I don't know. I don't know if there's inmates on the other parts of the ground as well. I, the statement was very clear. It said there were 26 inmates and two guards for this "clean the coliseum" sort of thing. And obviously, two guards for 26 inmates is not sufficient because you've got a couple of these people who are wandering off on the lark of their own, deciding that they're going to chat up some 17-year-old girl as she's heading towards the the bathroom. Um, Jeff in Fond du Lac. Jeff, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning
2: morning, Jeff. Good to talk to you. What do you think? Um, I've got younger sisters who uh, both have shown cattle down there and have chaperoned other kids that have shown cattle down there. And uh, especially in that first few days of state fair, there are a lot of kids down there, a lot of young kids. And the kids are out there all night long, and they've always talked about the fact that they've been very intimidated um, by, these, by the workers. Uh, it's, they're just not familiar. They see guys in orange jumpsuits. You know, we aren't from the walk. We, we hear what goes on down there. Right. And they're very intimidated by the fact that they're even there. It's not the, it's not just the interaction that they may have had with the one girl. They just don't feel safe with them being down there. I think what they're doing there, the job they're performing there is different than, like you said, a Summerfest when there's right. nothing going on at night or a county park that's closed at night. Right. There is undoubtedly going to be interaction just because there are a lot of people on the state fairgrounds and a, a lot of you Coliseum is a very busy area with the kids and there are a lot of kids out there at night. And I, the girls have always felt, and I frankly agree with them, that, that they don't belong there at all simply because of a number of kids that are there. An incident like this, I'm guessing it's probably not the first time that it's happened. Yeah. Uh, that a comment was made. It's just the first time it's gotten publicity. And I, I really think that it's a question if it, 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 it stops altogether before thanks. something does happen. Th-
0: you know, thanks for the perspective, Jeff. You know, it, it's interesting. My, my, our text line is absolutely exploding. Uh, let me read you a couple. When I showed pigs at the state fair, I would get up at 4 in the morning on show day and head to the swine barn to wash my pigs. The inmates would be out at that time, and they would walk... Uh, they would walk by the swine bar while I would be washing and they would be creepily watching me and whispering between themselves. Um uh Yeah, let's see, another Mark text. Jeff, there are also hundreds of kids that stay in the dorms on the west end of the grounds. Most of them are young teenagers involved in 4-H and the ag programs. The kids take shift going shifts going to the various animal barns to take care of the animals, some in the middle of the night. I don't think it's a good idea to have them exposed to the cleanup crews, especially if they are not properly supervised. Yeah, see, that's kind of the, the operative term here. That um, again, if you want, if you want to have this program. You have to have enough of a guard-inmate ratio to make sure that you can't have some of these lowlifes going off on their own. And I agree exactly with what Jeff was saying. My guess is this is not the first time stuff like this has happened. Again, it's just the first time it's kind of getting some publicity. So if I were giving any advice to um, my friend Kathleen O'Leary, who runs the State Fair, I would say, you know, if you want to continue the program, again, I don't have a problem with the program in concept but at the same time, you know, if you're going to have criminals that are going to be interacting with young children or teenagers. You've got to make sure that there's enough guards to watch what they are doing to prevent incidents like this. And I understand this was not an assault, but at the same time, if this was your 17-year-old daughter, you know, you're here from the southwest part of the state, you're showing your animals, she goes off to use the bathroom, and next thing you know, she comes back escorted by a state fair police officer because some of these creep-ball inmates decided that they were going to sniff around her, you would be upset. Anybody would be upset. It's 856. This is Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 908. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. We're broadcasting live for the Wisconsin State Fair. Hey, for everybody who is upset about the Brewers' just free fall since the All-Star break, and a lot of us true fans are, the, the truth of the matter is, I think objectively, this was a 500 team at the start of of the year. And now they're down to a game over 500. They had a good start. They had a stretch. But over 162 games of a baseball season, um, it it tends to even out. And generally speaking, you, you end up where you... Long and right now they're around 500, and that's probably they're you know it's unfortunate that they've gone into this tailspin. And you hope that they can figure out a way to turn it around, but they're, they're a couple years away from being serious playoff contenders. And they, they just they benefited by the fact that the Chicago Cubs weren't playing very well. And I'm a Brewers fan, still rooting for the team. I think it's great that uh, one of the good things here about the, the tailspin is I think you're getting an indication moving forward who can play and who can't play. And I don't want to name names, but it's pretty clear that there's at least a couple players right now that if you start the season with them in their current positions next year, you're going to have to have uh, good reason to explain it. But, I mean, the team, their game over 500, objectively, if you said, hey, you know, it's the first Packers exhibition game, you're in the middle of August and the team is at 500 or slightly above, if we said that on opening day, I think a lot of people would have said, oh, that's a pretty good season. Now that That's great. That's where they should be. It is showing progress. Unfortunately, they again, they were eight or nine games over 500, and so they've been on these uh, losing streaks, and they're, they're mired in a really bad one right now. But if you try to look at the big picture, I mean, I think, ostensibly, objectively, they were a 500 team, and they're, probably where their talent level deserves them to be right at the moment. So don't be too depressed. Um, this is year two of a major league rebuilding process. All right, big story number two, Foxconn. Now, um, State Assembly Speaker Robin Voss, State, uh, the President of the State Senate, uh, Scott Fitzgerald, and the Governor, for once all appear to be on the same page as a general term. You've got some in the media who are trying to say, okay, there's rifts and I'm reading all these different stories about how Assembly Republicans might be upset with uh, Republicans in the Senate because they're not taking this up fast enough or whatever. But the bottom line is everybody, I think, is on the same page. This deal is in fact going to get done. You've got um, the Assembly that's going to be debating on this and probably voting on this sometime in the next ten days or so, you know maybe as soon as next week at the end of next week, you know the state Senate's going to take it up shortly after that. Um, the Foxconn deal is going to get done, and it 's going to get done essentially in the form that it is in now now there 's going to be I think some tweaking of things, maybe um, conditioning some of the payments on a, on a timeline for when the jobs are going to be here but as a general rule, it, it is going to get done. When this job, when this program was first announced, I I was just astounded by again how how happy everybody was. You had lots of bipartisan support. You had Tom Barrett, who realizes, to his credit, you know what this could mean for job creation in the city of Milwaukee, or at least employment opportunities for people who live in the city. You know, he was in favor of this. You had a number of Democrats, particularly the ones who represent districts in the Racine Kenosha area, who were applauding this. And I think, in general, you had a lot of Republicans who were saying, hey, this is great. This is a big, big deal. Since then, you have had the ankle biters who have come out and, oh, this is this terrible giveaway. I can't believe we're going to spend $3 billion on all these different things. This is going to be awful. Well, let's just take a step back. It's true. If Foxconn had announced that they were not coming here, we would not be looking at spending $3 billion over the course of 15 or 20 or 25 years or however much that's going to be. That is correct. At the same time, though, we, we wouldn't be getting anything in return. It would be the status quo. All right, so people say, well, we don't want to spend $3 billion. Well, Foxconn, just to build the facility... They are looking at spending 10 B, as in billion dollars, of which they estimate that about 7 billion dollars is going to be given to Wisconsin companies to help build stuff. All right, now I am willing to bet that if I said to you, "I tell you what, um, you give me three bucks and I'm going to give you ten dollars in return," almost everybody would say, "Jeff, what's the catch here?" Um, I say no. There, there's no catch. That's just it. You, you know, you give me three bucks, I'll give you ten dollars in return. Now, what's going to happen is once you give that ten dollars, well, once you give that ten dollars, you've got that. Plus, the people who are going to take the three dollars, they're going to go out and they're going to spend it on other things, hiring other people. I mean, I guess I just look at this Foxconn deal, and to me, it is a complete and total no-brainer. And Honestly, I think the only reason you are getting some of the blowback you are getting is because people realize that this is a political winner for Governor Walker, and heaven forbid that we should create thousands and thousands of jobs, that we should revitalize southeastern Wisconsin, but heaven forbid that Scott Walker should get any of the credit for it. Right, right, 414-799-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I want to talk about the politics of this. There is no question in my mind that in the next couple weeks the, the Foxconn deal is going to pass. It's going to pass the legislature. This is going to move ahead. There might be some tweaks here or there, but the basic structure is in place. It is going to pass. All right, I want to talk about the politics of this. Already, you've got some of the left-wing editorial boards, and you've got some of the people who have their own vested political interests. They're out there saying, oh, I think this is going to be a devastating deal for the state. I think these people are going to be eating their words. I think this is one of those occasions that occasionally happens in politics and the world where something is good politics, and it is also good policy. I think this Foxconn deal, as we look back on it 5, 10, 15 years from now, is going to be an enormous winner. 414-799-1620, that's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Are we going to regret doing this? I think not. 414-799-1620, that's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We are back to discuss. We're broadcasting live from the Wisconsin State Fair. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 915 Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's nine seventeen. Jeff Wagner, six twenty. WTMJ. Um, like I say, I seriously think this is one of these occasions where you have both good policy and good politics. And the fact that it is good politics, I think, is what is driving some people crazy. And I'm talking about the Foxconn deal, which is going to pass. But I think we're going to look back five or ten years from now, and it is going to be transformative. Um, let's see, Andrew and Greenfield texts, Isn't the $3 billion largely represented by tax exemptions that Foxconn won't be paying? So, yes, we won't get the $3 billion, but if they don't come here, we still don't have the $3 billion. It's spending money that we wouldn't even have without Foxconn. Yes, that is exactly the point. Um, Jeff in Fox Point text If Governor Walker rescued a child from a burning building The liberal politicians would criticize him for it Yes, why did you go in? Why didn't you wait for the uh, police officers The fire department to get here? Let's talk to uh, Dennis in Pewaukee Dennis, you're on 620 WTMJ Good morning
1: Morning, Jeff Thanks for taking my call Sure You know, this this isn't the first time they've subsidized business It won't be the last But obviously the numbers are much larger Than what we've ever seen before But having said all that you know, we've, we've already got something like this in place going on. It's called a stadium tax, okay? Yep. And how many years has that been going on, and how much money do they have to generate to be able to get that up and off the ground and, and going? I mean, and those are seasonal jobs. We're talking yep. about creating year-round jobs. With yep. this oh yeah. mean, this <laughs> yeah. Kind of a, you know, a similarity there?
0: Yeah, oh, yeah, absolutely. Thanks for calling, Dennis. See, I don't understand how any... Okay, some of the most vocal critics of this have been some of the Democrats who represent the city of Milwaukee. All right? Now, I don't understand how anybody, for example, could have been in favor of the Bucks Arena. I was in favor of the Bucks Arena. I continue to believe that it will ultimately be good for the region. And I was certainly in favor of Miller Park. But if you look at... All the studies, when you build an arena, the question of the overall economic impact is very, very much up in the air. But if you supported the Bucks arena because it was going to create jobs, and it has already created jobs. That's just the reality. How could you possibly be opposed to Foxconn, which is going to create sustain, family-sustaining jobs that are going to be here for years and years and years? Ken in Beaver Dam. Ken, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning.
1: Yeah, thank you. Good, good comment. Good discussion. I just wanted to say, I, I find it, I find it really ir- ironic that the liberals are so good at putting people on food stamps and on welfare and on free housing and all kinds of freebies and locking them into poverty. Whereas right. this is an opportunity to use the, the taxpayers' money, and it's not even money that that's there yet, but the, this opportunity right. to use the taxpayers' money to bring people up to lift them up. I thought the object of, of, of of a lot, our uh, generosity was to bring to put people on their feet. The government programs that the left is about is locking them in so that they have this this endless voting block running this pseudo compassion drivel that they run all the time. No, this is a great deal twenty eight dollars an hour, helping people to have a real good, sustainable living. This is this is what government ought to be doing.
0: I I agree with you completely. I mean, thanks for the call, Kat. I read one of the most staggeringly stupid pieces in one of the Madison papers the other day, and I don't know if it was an editorial or if it was an op-ed piece. I don't recall off the top of my head. But it said, the, the premise was... Okay, if we're going to take three billion dollars, and everybody makes the good point, that this three billion dollars is in the form of tax credit, is largely in the form of tax credits and things like that, that you don't get in the first place if this doesn't happen. But regardless, it said, well, what we should do is we should, if we're going to take three billion, we should just take three billion and we should fix all the potholes on the road. We should pay people to fix all the potholes on the road, and we should hire teachers, and that will be fine. Well, the problem with that thinking is you you do that. You spend the money, and then the money is gone. And, And, yes, you've got fixed potholes, but you don't have any more jobs that have been created. You spend the money. Okay, you hire teachers for a couple years. Then they're gone. That that. This is a sustainable thing. This is the difference actually between liberals and conservatives. The idea that if you can create these incentives, and look, and I understand the argument about corporate welfare. I I get it. Why should you have to pay a company to want to locate here? Why should you have to give them, you know, an incentive to do it? But that is the reality of the world that we live in now. These companies know they offer a lot. Foxconn comes with a commitment to build to spend and I can't get over this. They come with a commitment to build to spend 10 billion dollars just in building the plant, creating the infrastructure. That in and of itself is a win-win thing. The people that they hire are then going to be on the payroll. You're talking about hundreds of millions of dollars a year in in payroll. People are going to be on the payroll that they are then going to be paying state taxes on. And we're not even getting into again the the spillover, the fact that obviously you're going to need other facilities there to service the Foxconn plant. It is just amazing to me that we have people who are turning up their nose at the opportunity to have 13,000 jobs at one facility alone. And I, I actually I mean, I think it is fair to say, okay, as part of any agreement you want to have some sort of timeline that goes in, and, and how are the tax credits, and if we're advancing money, how is, is that done? I think that's perfectly fair, but to question the overall deal, and it is just amazing the rhetoric that is out there, and it's rhetoric from people who actually should know better. It is rhetoric from people that if this was Jim Doyle and Democrats controlling the legislature, would be jumping up and down, doing cartwheels, claiming how great Great this was. Noah in West Bend. Noah, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning.
2: Hey, Jeff, big fan. Um, Thank you. I got to say, I, I actually I was agreeing with you 100% up until the last thing you said, because I think your last caller hit it on the head. I don't think the Democrats would be jumping up and down. I think they'd still be against this. Mm-hmm. I think he nailed it. As long as people are on those systems, as long as poverty is a big thing, and as long as they can keep people locked into meeting the government, those people vote for them. So the second the Democrats support job creation and actually do something to create jobs, they lose half their voting base when people go to work. Well, I don't uh, think they're willing to do that.
0: <laughs> I, you, well, no, thanks for the call, Noah. You, you, could, be, you could, in fact, be on to something. I, I just, to me, and I, I know I've said this before, when, when they did the rollout a couple weeks ago, a congresswoman, Gwen Moore, who represents essentially Milwaukee County, and that means she also represents the city of Milwaukee, where you are talking about you know some of the most economically disadvantaged areas in in the country where you know we're, we're talking about poverty we're talking about while unemployment in the state is low you're talking about really really tough unemployment in certain segments of, of gwen moore's congressional district so here you have thirteen thousand potential jobs coming to the congressional district immediately to the south of where she is so you're talking about within ten to fifteen miles and it's not just going to be the Foxconn jobs, because okay, may, maybe you've got somebody who's, you know, doesn't have a high school degree. That they're not going to necessarily be in a position that they can immediately go, you know, do the tech work that Foxconn needs. But there's all sorts of other jobs that they can do um, that you know, are gonna arise as a result of Foxconn being here. But instead of somebody like Glenmore jumping up and down and saying, Hey, this is tremendous, now what I want to see is is how can we make arrangements, how can we get transportation going? And what what can we do to get people from my district, that extra ten miles that they have to do, you know, to get down to Foxconn. Instead of saying, That's what I want, let's get behind this one hundred percent, all you get is this, well it we're cautiously optimistic. I I don't know if it's gonna work or not. Well look the bottom line of this is. If you don't want people trapped in poverty, you have to seize these types of opportunities. This is really a game changer. And I guess I tell you, politics aside, it's good policy. The politics of this are ultimately going to be really good. And for the people who are out there who are throwing stones or trying to be a wet blanket, they are going to come to regret this. Mark my words. It's 926. This is Jeff Wagner. Big thing number three coming up. Stick around. It's nine twenty nine, Jeff Wagner, six twenty WTMJ. We're broadcasting live from the Wisconsin State Fair. Are the Packers a Super Bowl contender? See where they stack up in Wayne Laraville's first preseason power poll. That's in his blog. It's up now online at WTMJ.com. It's part of Wayne's latest podcast. It's the play by play on our mobile app. Be sure to check that out. Okay, coming up in just a couple minutes. Big things number number three. Um The investigation into Trump's aides has ratcheted up as the prosecutor uses tactics that John Chisholm employed. We're going to talk about that. And then after that, well, all right, I almost watched a young lady get run over yesterday as I was driving around. I have seen this go on more and more. This wasn't reckless driving. We'll talk about it all. That's coming up. Ah. It's 934, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. We're broadcasting live from the Wisconsin State Fair. A lot of people stopping by. Ken from West Bend just stopped by said he always wanted to meet me. So we ended up getting a picture together. Very cool. Uh, I'm, I'm a little bit wistful here. It's the last day of our broadcast, at least my broadcast from the State Fair. Kathleen O'Leary, who is the what, CEO of the fair, she's going to be... And Kathleen and I go back a long time. We're gonna, She's going to be joining us about 10.35 to talk about uh, State Fair as it works into its last weekend. All right, big story number three. Uh, the Trump attorneys firing back on the special counsel for tactics that he is using. And you know what? They are absolutely correct. Um, The big breathless story in the Washington Post the other day was how Paul Manafort, who was one of the um, guys involved in the Trump campaign who is apparently under investigation by the the special prosecutor. Um, He was the former campaign manager. And look, and I... I think a lot of people are just kind of bored with the whole Russia, Russia, Russia thing. I mean, I continue to believe that. If there is evidence that there was collusion between the Trump campaign and the Russian government, obviously that is a story. There's no question about it. And then you just have to kind of let the chips fall where they may. But in general, I think people people care about, you know, what's going on in the economy. They care about, you know, what do they have money in the bank? You know, what's their job status looking like? National security, things like that. Health care. That's what people, I think, really care about. This Russia story, I think, while it has the potential to be significant, is being very, very dramatically overblown by the media. So here's the the latest development. Apparently, the special counsel, Bob Mueller, executed search warrants at the house of the former campaign manager, Paul Manafort, executed search warrants, um, seizing documents and things of the like. Now let me take a step back. What does that sound like? Well, it sounds like the same sort of tactics used by John Chisholm during the failed John Doe probe. This, think back. What John Chisholm was doing is he was conducting a campaign finance investigation to try to, you know, discover whether there was undue cooperation between, you know, private parties and various campaigns. All right. Now, Chisholm's problem is he was proceeding by a completely false premise as to what the law was. But normally, and take this from somebody who has conducted more than his share of white collar investigations. There's two types of investigations you conduct. One is when you are investigating dangerous people. You know, you know, you're, you want to find, I think there's a drug house operating here. Well, you don't just send a subpoena over to the drug dealers and say, give me your records. No. You kick in the door, you make arrests. I get that. There's also the white-collar situations where the people are not hardcore criminals, where there's no evidence that would suggest that if you would simply give them a subpoena, these are the records we want, give them to us. There's no evidence at all to suggest that they're not going to comply with that. And that is the way in most white-collar prosecutions, investigations, whatever, you do. They have lawyers. The government has lawyers. What to do is the lawyers, interact, and they say, okay, these are the records we want. Will your clients supply them voluntarily? And the lawyers say, yeah, we'll get them for you. You're entitled to them. And then, boom, it it goes from there. You don't kick in doors, you, and I'm using that term figuratively. You don't go out and white-collar investigations and do these things. Well, what Chisholm did was exactly the opposite of the way a responsible and, in my opinion, ethical prosecutor would proceed. You're conducting this white-collar investigation. Instead of simply asking for various records, you show up. 6 a.m. in the morning, you bang on the door, you go in, you terrorize uh, teenage children, you seize computers, you seize everything you can find. There's no reason to do it. The only reason you do it is because you are trying to use, as a prosecutor, the concept of a shock and awe theory. Here, we're going to try to scare you, we're going to try to assert our authority, and we're going to try to show you that if you don't cooperate with us, these are the things that can happen. Well, it didn't work for John Chisholm, and I don't think it's going to work for Bob Mueller. They go out to Paul Manafort's house in Virginia, and apparently, again, it's the same sort of thing. It's a search warrant. It's a raid seeking records which, candidly, um, you you could have obtained in a number of other ways. Uh, Apparently, there are allegations that the agency's privilege and confidential materials, attorney-client type of stuff, Um, there really was no reason to go out and execute the search warrant other than number one you're trying to make headlines and number two you're trying to scare the person who is the subject of the search warrant into perhaps cooperating with you from an investigative standpoint I think, like I say, it's fair. Let the special counsel go. Do what the special counsel needs to do. But when you are talking about people in a situation like Paul Manafort, to execute broad search warrants at his house, seizing computers and things of the like, it is a gross, in my opinion, overreach. It is unnecessary. It is the type of bullying tactic, which, again, if employed, say, to, I don't know, investigate, oh, somebody who was in the Obama administration or was an Obama campaign manager, it would have been something that would have been absolutely outrageous. But, of course, that's not the way it's looked at now. So big story number three, you have not heard the end of this. The special counsel um, decides that we're going to start executing search warrants. He decides to show that he's going to play hardball. That's fine. Don't be surprised if this blows up in his face. Okay, coming up next. There's a great wide world out there. Why don't people look at it? Stick around. It's 940. We're broadcasting live from the Wisconsin State Fair. It's 944. This is Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ, broadcasting live from the Wisconsin Day Fair. It is day nine of the fair. It wraps up on Sunday. If you're um, up in the Green Bay area, I want to be a quick reminder. Um, Burger Fest, Seymour. Which is kind of outside of Green Bay, um, home of the hamburger. They're having their big hamburger fest. The reason I mentioned this is a friend of mine. This is the year he's cooking the hamburger. Took over for his dad. He's cooking the 200-pound cheeseburger. 200 pounds. Um, they're cooking that on Saturday. Uh, Burger fest is always a great time. I can't make it this year, but I'm going to get up there in the next year or two. I promise. All right. True story. Yesterday I am driving around. I, and I, I almost watched a young woman get hit. Um, I, let's see. I, I'm, I was driving, for the sake of argument, I, I am driving on a residential street. I am driving west, getting ready to cross an east-west street. I've got a stop sign. Actually, it's a four-way stop sign. Um, there's a car on the other side of the intersection driving east. They're at the stop sign. And I kind of see this whole thing playing out. I'm, I'm watching this woman who's walking on the the sidewalk. And you can probably imagine this. She is not paying attention at all to her surroundings. What's she doing? She's doing the zombie walk. She's got her cell phone in her hand, and she is staring down at her cell phone, completely and totally oblivious, it seems to me, to what's going on. And I'm, I'm watching her heading towards the intersection, just staring at the cell phone like a zombie. I'm watching the person on the other end of the side of the intersection whose turn it is to go and who's getting ready to make a right turn. And I'm thinking, this woman, not only is she not going to stop, she's never going to see this. She's just flat not paying attention. And, of course, that's exactly what happens. She, without breaking stride, staring at the darn cell phone, walks right in front of the car as it is making its right hand turn. Now the driver was able to slam on the brakes um, she looks up gives him, I think it was a him kind of this sort of perturbed look I'm on the other side of the intersection and, and then keeps going on. Now I don't know I've been replaying this since it happened as to who was actually in the right or the wrong but, but there's no question in my mind that this, this woman, young woman who was walking she was completely oblivious and like I say she stepped out in front of the car Now, if the car would have hit her, I I don't know, legally, where would you assess the liability? But she just walked right in front of the car. But what was more interesting is she didn't intentionally walk in front of the car. She had no clue she was walking in front of the car because she was staring at her cell phone. All right, so I watched that happen. Later on yesterday afternoon, I'm in a small business. And I, I go up to the counter, and there's another, in this case it's a young woman, I don't mean to be, I'm not picking on genders, who's a young woman now who is presumably working, and I, I have what I, I wanted to purchase. I, I, I go up, I'm standing at the counter, and she's sitting in a chair behind the counter. Now, she's, I presumably, you know, her job is to take the money that people give them. She is completely and totally unaware that I am there because. She is staring into her cell phone, just wrapped up in this world of her own, not recognizing that there are customers who want to give her coin of the realm. And so you stand there, and honest to God, I must have stood there for 15 or 20 seconds, and finally, I, I, excuse me... And then she looks up and, oh, okay. But she was just completely immersed in whatever it was. I assume she's texting her friends or doing these other things. Now, I know people who run businesses who have as a matter of policy that, you know, when you're at work, you've got to surrender your cell phones. You know, that, that you can't carry the cell phones with you when you're on the job. You've got to leave them. You know, uh, again, if it's on your break and you want to go out and you want to stare at it, that's one thing. But I have friends who have told me that they see that if they allow people to carry their cell phones with them while they are working, they know that work isn't going to get done because they know they will inevitably find people standing there mesmerized by these phones. Okay, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, look, this isn't Foggy alert here. I love my cell phone as well as the next person, but I am convinced that we are seeing the creation of a, we are becoming a nation of zombies people unable to show up at work without staring into the cell phone people unable to walk around the streets without staring into their their cell phones and i think it's and this is this is beyond just like sitting at restaurants which i just think i think it's kind of rude that if you're out to eat with somebody and you're you're spending all your time looking at your cell phone. I mean, I just think that's rude. But at least there, that's you're on your own time, and you're not danger endangering yourself. I mean, I'm watching this lady walking on the street. I, it's it is it is but for the grace of God that she didn't get hit. And again, I don't know, I don't know exactly who had the right away, except she stepped in front of the car as the car was making this right-hand turn, and she never looked because she was looking at the damn cell phone. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Are you noticing this? And I don't know what we do to get people's faces out of the cell phones. Maybe that's just a completely and totally losing game, but I'm telling you, um, there's a consequence to being a nation of zombies. Let's start with Travis in Whitefish Bay. Travis, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning.
3: Good morning, Jeff. How are you doing?
0: Good. What do you think? You notice this too?
3: Oh, all the time. I, I run every day, and uh, I see it uh, way too often.
0: Right, just the people with their heads down, not paying attention at all to their surroundings. And you go, my gosh, I I that car almost hit them, or they almost walked in front of that bicycle, or how did they avoid stepping into that manhole? <laughs>
3: It's, it's extremely dangerous, and in my opinion, we're only going to solve this by policing each other. I, I tell kids all the time to stop riding without their hands and staring at their phone. I mean, I could walk right in front of them, and they wouldn't even notice me.
0: Riding without, you mean like on a bike, on their hand? Really? Like they're riding on their bikes, and you see them on their phones?
3: All, all the time, every
0: wow. day. Well, <laughs> thanks for the call, Travis. Yeah, I mean, I'm just looking at the walking thing. Looking at, I mean, I understand. I mean, it and I understand that nowadays you know, if you 're out there you 're doing the power walking stuff you you 've got your People listen to you know music through their cell phones, or I'm an, I'm one of the I'm still an iPod guy, but that's okay. I mean I understand it. You get into the you get into the rhythm of walking and stuff, but this idea, but it's it's beyond that. It's just like totally immersed, and and then of course it again it bleeds over. I'm in the store, okay, uh, young lady. You know it isn't your job that you're supposed to take care of customers. I'm sorry, I don't mean to annoy you, but here I, I want to buy something. Get your nose out of the cell phone. Mary Angela in Wauwatosa, you're on 620 WTMJ.
4: Good morning, Jeff. I hear congratulations are in order for your new engagement.
0: Thank you very much. I have outkicked my coverage when it comes to affairs of the heart.
4: (laughs) (laughs) But I I think I got the best story. In a funeral procession last Friday, going from Crowsey Funeral Home up to Graceland Cemetery, I think there was 20 of us in procession. We get to Graceland at Mill Road there, and we're turning into the cemetery, and a city worker on his cell phone walks in between the funeral procession.
0: Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Just not paying any attention at all,
4: huh? Right, and I think that's the best. And and we must have, I counted 18 different times we almost got hit because people weren't paying attention to the funeral procession. Yeah. Do people not know what a funeral procession is? Your life stops, and let us safely get to the cemetery without burying another person that's paying their respect.
0: Mary Angela, thanks for the call, and thanks for the good wishes. Yeah, I mean, it, it's just, again, and it's just it's just the lack of awareness. I'm, I'm not down on cell phones, believe me. I mean, I, I use my cell phone and I understand it's, it's great. I'll, I will check my messages from time to time. I'm, I'm not the guy, though, that's going to sit there and be texting constantly when I'm sitting there having a beer with my friends because I'm going to be paying attention to that. But when you're out in the real world, there are enough distractions, it seems to me, without just kind of immersing yourself in this, this is the whole, like, don't text and drive campaign, which makes eminent sense. But, you know, If you're going to be walking around or you're going to be at work, for goodness sakes, you know, I don't understand how employers could tolerate this type of thing because you know what's going to happen is inevitably, gee, I know I'm supposed to be uh, handling the customers, but here, I'm just, I'm in the middle of these texts. I want to find out what's going on. Let's talk to um, John in Milwaukee. John, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning.
5: Hi. Well, I ran into the king of them all, uh, the queen of them all yesterday. I never drive that uh, route uh, up to Grafton on the Z43, but I had to do it to go there the other day. And um, uh, I was in the left lane, and the traffic there was going 80. Now they have horrendous accidents there just about every day. And a woman gets on my bumper, and she went past me full throttle. I mean, if she wasn't going 100, I can't even guess. Mm -hmm. She went right past me. Of course, she came up behind the cars going 80, and she got bottlenecked in there, and I went right in the right lane. Eventually, a couple miles down the road, I got next to her, and she's going 80 miles an hour tailgating that next vehicle, and she's
0: texting.
5: Yeah. She's on the
0: phone. Yeah, I I mean, it's... no
5: wonder they have deadly accidents there every day with people like that.
0: Well, exactly. Thanks for the call. And again, that, that's that's the whole texting and driving thing. And and I understand, and that's why we've got the campaigns against that. But I, I mean, I want to broaden this. I mean, again, I almost watched this lady get run down, and she walked in front of a car. But and if it was if I this was the only time I saw it, I I, I guess I I wouldn't make it a point. But I see this all the time, and I mean, it's not just applied to young people. I I, I think you know a lot of people end up doing this. But, you know, this idea that I'm going to get so immersed, I, I just I can't take my eyes off the sacred cell phone because heaven knows it, I, it might take me like 30 seconds to get the latest uh, meme from, you know, my, my friend who sent that out. I mean, really. Um, let's talk to Carl and Madison. Carl, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning.
2: Yeah, I'm a truck driver, and I've been out here 40 years. And I tell you, about three out of every four cars I see have their phone in their hand doing something sometimes they're three to five feet off each other's bumper going 75 miles an hour yep and it drives me nuts they're all over the place and the bad part of it is i'm starting to see a lot of other truck drivers doing the same thing yeah. that scares the <laughs>
0: crap out of me well well yeah because that i mean thanks to call especially when you're you know handling a big rig or something all you need you know you know you just need to the dope off for just a couple seconds and you're in trouble. Uh, let's see on my text line. My brother was checking his cell phone while on his bicycle, not paying attention, hit a pothole, ended up having multiple fractured bones, major surgery on his arm. He may never have full strength or nerve feeling in his arm again. Yeah, that's the other thing. I mean, you're, you know, it's one thing if you're walking, you're, you're, okay, you're, you're riding on your bike and you've got to decide that you're going to check your cell phone. This is exactly the type of stuff that can end up happening. I guess the bottom line is, um, just think as you're driving around, or as you're walking around, see how many people you see that rather than just paying attention to their surroundings, enjoying life instead, instead, are just stuck with their faces glued to the cell phone. Now, again, if you're sitting at home, who cares if you do that or not? That's just your own decision. of how you spend your time. But if you're out and about in the real world, and you're looking like that, you are just an accident waiting to happen. It is that simple. 1057 Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 10.08. This is Jeff Wagner. Glad to have you with us. Uh, State Fair CEO Kathleen O'Leary joins us in about 30 minutes. We'll get a fair update as we wind down. It has been a wonderful run of the fair. All right, two interesting stories 90 miles apart. Um, this one comes out of Greenfield. Con- a convicted armed robber faces more than a dozen new charges connected to a string of robberies around the area. Authorities allege that Raymond Lewis, 53, hit eight Milwaukee locations within the first seven days of the month, including Walgreens, CVS stores, Colectivo, and Fresh Time stores. He also hit stores in Glendale, Wauwatosa, Elm Grove, and West Dallas. They believe that this guy committed eight armed robberies over the period of seven days. Right, They've now caught him. I don't believe he's been officially charged yet, but he has been arrested. Authorities tracked him to a home on Milwaukee's north side where they found a car that he had allegedly stolen in Greenfield parked right in front. So not only is this guy a career criminal, he's not a very bright career criminal, but they've now arrested him and they anticipate the charges are coming out. Now, here's what's interesting about this. Um, convicted armed robber. So the question becomes, why is this guy out on the street? I pulled up... Now, he's 53. I pulled up his most recent criminal conviction. I, don't, I didn't go into an exen- extensive search of his background, because this kind of makes the point. October of 2012. Okay? October of 2012. Um, he was convicted after a guilty plea of robbery with the use of force. Armed robbery, okay? He was sentenced in November of 2012, which would be... I don't know, almost five years ago, but not quite. He was sentenced to five years in the state prison with an extended supervision term of five years. All right, so here we are in early August of 2017. The guy is out. I don't know when he got out, but he didn't serve all five years. He's been out before serving all five years. He is on the joke that is extended supervision... And he's out on an armed robbery spree, allegedly knocking over eight stores in the period of seven days. All right, so I I looked at the whole extended supervision, which is what they call, it's what used to be called parole. You know, it would be parole or probation, but this is parole. So here you have an armed robbery, robber who is released before the end of his term. He's on extended supervision. Let's see, here were the conditions. He should seek and maintain employment. Job and vocational training. Don't think he was doing that. No contact with the people he robbed. I don't think there was that. Um, He is advised that he may never possess a firearm or body armor. Don't think he was doing that. And, of course, he is not supposed to commit other crimes, which makes you wonder... Who was it that was supervising this guy on extended supervision, and why was nobody watching him as he's stealing cars and going out on this lengthy crime spree? Now, I bring this up because it is not atypical. As a matter of fact, what you find, I think, more and more is that people who have been in the criminal justice system, and I say that in quotation marks, tend to stay in the criminal justice system. They tend to be repeat offenders. And I am convinced that if you look at most people are basically honest and law abiding. Most people are. The problem is you have a certain criminal class that start young and then largely continue through their lifetime committing crimes. And the biggest frustration, if you talk to people in law enforcement, is it is the repeat offenders. It's the people that you, they're out there. You're not, I, look, I have the greatest respect for law enforcement, but let's face it, as a general rule, we don't catch people the first time they commit a crime. Generally speaking, they've committed crime after crime after crime. That first car that they carjack, that's not necessarily the one they get caught with. That first car they stole, it's not the one they get caught with. It's after they've stolen 15 or 20 cars, then they ultimately get caught. So you have this, again, this criminal class, and I believe it's true, a relatively small percentage of the population, that is out and released over and over and over again. And it doesn't matter that they've been in prison before. They don't care. They're criminals. It doesn't matter that they're supposed to be on extended supervision and being watched. They don't care about that stuff. They're there to commit crimes. And I have always believed that that's the... That's really got to be the focus of law enforcement, is recognizing these career criminals and then getting them off the streets and having judges that have the guts to warehouse them to protect the rest of us. All right, that is a way of leading into what I want to talk to you next. The chief of the Madison Police Department, Madison, is coming under criticized criticism, criticism because yesterday he had a press conference where he announced what he calls an intensified enforcement effort. On four or five dozen people that he says are holding a city of a quarter of a million hostage to our fears. You know, he identified, and, he, and what he then goes on to say is that there are a group, these are gang members, these are gang bangers, and egregious repeat offenders who are responsible for a large amount of the criminal activity. And they keep doing it. He says, enough is enough. He posted this on his blog. The city we are all committed to, the place where we live, go to school, go to worship, go to shop, and raise our kids is worthy of fighting for. And so what, what he says is, look, Here's what we're going to do. He said, many of the same names surface every time there's a shooting or a homicide. Many also have times to gangs, and we have knowledge that these individuals have access to guns, have threatened to use guns, or associate with people who commit gun crimes. And so what he says they're going to do, essentially, is they are going to target these people, and, you know, they're going to go around, they're going to concentrate resources on seeing what these people do, and maybe not being able to arrest them for a shooting, but perhaps if they've done something else, arrest them for that. In other words, they're going after the the three, four, five dozen people that they believe are at the heart of a lot of the criminal activity that is going on in Madison. Um, interestingly enough, you have some of the people in Madison who are appalled by this. They're outraged that the chief's focus is is narrow. You know, the reason we have violence in the community is the heroin epidemic, things like that. We have to look at the bigger picture. I don't think it's going to do anything in the short or the long term. That's what this one guy they quote in the Madison papers say. All four seven nine nine That is the Accurate mortgage talk and text line. All right. I think the Madison police chief is on to something. The reality is when it comes to the hardcore repeat offenders, I am all in favor of law enforcement, whether it is in Milwaukee or Madison or Chicago or wherever, targeting the people that are known to them, the people that names constantly come up and saying, okay, We're going to focus, we're going to investigate all crimes, but we are going to focus on these two, three, four dozen, however many there are. And we are going to, when we catch them doing bad stuff, We're going to investigate them, we're going to prosecute them, we're going to try to get them off the street. Now some people are screaming, well that means you're going to be profiling. Well no, you're not racially profiling, I don't know what the racial makeup of them are going to be. You are profiling them based on the fact that they are a criminal. And I want criminals to to be profiled. All right, is the Madison police chief on to something concentrating on hardcore offenders and saying, we're going to do whatever we possibly can, again, within the Constitution and within the law, we're going to get these bad guys off the streets? 414-799-1620, that's the AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I think my my phrase would be, if I had two words my two words would be, good start. What do you think? Four one four We're back to discuss next. It's 1017, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 1019, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. See, to me, this only makes sense. And and if you talk to almost any urban police chief, they will tell you that the vast majority of crimes are committed by a a certain group of people. The the regulars, the the gangsters, the career criminals, the hardcore gangbangers who are just out on the streets. In many cases, you've got judges that turn them loose again and again and again. And they continue to commit crimes out in Madison. The police chief is saying, you know, we're, we're going to start this targeted program. We believe there's three or four, five dozen people who are responsible or behind most of the violent crime that we have going on. So we're going to focus on them. And some of the hand ringers are going, well, I don't know. We're concerned that you might be profiling. Well, all right, you're, you're profiling criminals. Scott and Johnson Creek. Scott, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning.
1: Good morning, Jeff. Um I'm, I'm, I'm kinda like you where I'm a, a by the numbers type of person. And I also, have a person, like I said, I think one of the most important rules is the Pareto rule or the 80-20 rule. And my take is that if the police chief focuses on, on the 20% of the criminals who are, who are, who are
2: doing most 80% of the crime. Right. You focus on them, you're gonna take out a huge um, amount of crime and therefore you can focus on, uh, on other areas.
0: Yeah, and you're not going to eliminate crime all all in general. Nobody suggests that. But what you're going to do is you're going to focus your resources on, you know, what the problem is. It's kind of like if somebody goes to the doctor and you've got like eight or nine different complaints, but your principal complaint is your arteries are clogged and you're on the verge of having a massive heart attack. Well, you want to deal with everything, but first you deal with the fact that, you know, your arteries are clogged. Figure that out so you don't have the heart attack, and then you worry about the other stuff. Yeah. Now, thanks for the call, Scott. I mean, I guess that's this is just this is the type of thing that just makes absolute and total sense to me that you have to end up doing this, and this is the way you have to approach stuff. Now, you know, Ed Flynn has hinted at this before. You know, I mean, he he recognizes before he goes off on his crazy rants about, gee, you know, it's concealed carry permit holders that are creating the problem. He knows everybody in law enforcement knows. You know, it's the hardcore repeat offenders. That's why, you know, when we hear the different stories about the woman who's, you know, carjacked and punched in the face by the guy with the brass knuckles, you know that that guy has been through the criminal justice system. When you hear the story about the person that's arrested and they've because they've led the police on a joyride or a high-speed chase, you know you just know that that's not their first time at the rodeo. You know that there's going to be all sorts of other charges and things that have happened. And so that's why, again, it's one of the frustrating things for me is that you have so many of the judges who, again, just take these people, you look at their criminal records, and you understand that while rehabilitation would be a wonderful goal, it it would be, but the reality is There are some people who are just, for whatever reasons, they are career criminals. That is the choice they have made. And while you hope that they might be able to turn their life around, the odds aren't in favor of it. The odds are that as soon as they get out... They are going to be out committing more and more crimes, which is why you got to keep them behind bars as long as possible. And when they get out on things like extended supervision, it has to be more than, hey, we'll see you once every month, you know, check in. Because, you know, if they're given the chance, they are going to commit crimes like this guy who did eight armed robberies in seven days Right after apparently getting out of prison and while he's on extended supervision. The people deserve more than that. We deserve to be safe. 1023, this is Jeff Wagner. Coming up next, President Trump makes an off the cuff remark that has a lot of people's eyebrows being raised. We'll talk about that. Stick around. It's 1025, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Our time at the Wisconsin State Fair winding down. Which of the Packers young players caught your eye last night in the preseason opener? Greg Matzik takes your calls during Sports Central at 6.07 this evening. Greg is broadcasting live from the Wisconsin State Fair. Today our broadcast is sponsored by our friends at Wasco Windows. Um, I I think one of the things about President Trump, you can say many things, one of the things is that I, I still think he is... Wrestling with the difference between being the CEO of a closely held family corporation and being the leader of the free world, and the, the 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 difference is, while I appreciate candor and tough talk from the president, while I was not critical at all of him saying to North Korea, "Hey, you know, we, we've tried to we've tried to be diplomatic with you, we've tried to negotiate with you for the better part of two decades, it's not working. So if you keep threatening us," Essentially, you know, we're going to annihilate you. I don't have a problem with that at all. And and for the hand ringers that do, I mean, my response would be get over it. At the same time, I, I do think there's times when he's flip or cavalier, where you don't know whether he's joking or not, where he just doesn't strike the right tone. Now, uh, the U.S. imposed sanctions on Russia, partly as a result of their meddling in the election. And then last month, Vladimir Putin announced that... Um, the US would have to cut 775 diplomatic and technical staffers in other words the r- russia response was okay you impose sanctions we are we're not going to allow a large number of diplomats to operate in in russia and they asked trump about that yesterday and instead of saying what he should have said which is This is not constructive to our ongoing dialogue, and we don't respond to retaliation. He says something like he gets this weird smile on his face and says, I want to thank Vladimir Putin because we're trying to cut down on payroll, and as far as I'm concerned, I'm very thankful that he let go a large number of people because now we have a smaller payroll. There's no real reason for them to go back, so I greatly appreciate the fact that we've been able to cut our payroll of the United States. We'll save a lot of money. Hmm. That is a really, really, really strange thing to say. And and nobody can tell whether it's tongue-in-cheek or whether he's serious. My guess is he's, he's trying to be a wise butt, is what I think he's trying to do. But the truth of the matter is, cutting diplomatic staff by 755 people does hurt their diplomatic mission in Russia. And what it really hurts is the ability of people, for example, to get visas and things like that. And it is... Again, I think Trump was being flip. I don't know what the larger point behind this whole thing was, but at the same time, it's one of those deals where you want to say, um, you, know, you know, Mr. President, maybe what you need to do is, is just kind of think before you open your mouth as to try to figure out what the effect of these different things are going to be. And I just, again, it, I think sometimes his brusque manner, the style, gets in the way of the substance of what's going on. And I mean, I've said this before, as far as I'm concerned, I mean, I appreciate using Twitter to be able to go around and over and underneath and past the mainstream media to get your message out, but he doesn't just limit himself to that, and it's one thing after another, and this is just kind of the latest example of it. Maybe you feel that I, I don't have anything to be gained by trying to... You know, uh, say something provocative about Vladimir Putin. Something that interestingly, he hasn't had any problem saying provocative things about every person around him, including his Attorney General and his Secretary of State and the Senate Majority Leader and pretty much anybody else who gets in his way. But he goes out of his way to avoid saying anything bad about Vladimir Putin. But in this particular case, it was just, it was a bizarre remark. There's just no two ways around it and you wonder, You know, again, what exactly does he mean when he says these things? I don't think his staff knows. And the truth is, I'm not sure he knows all the time either. It's 1034, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Like I was saying, a little bit wistful. This is uh, my last broadcast from the State Fair. I was thinking this is... um, I think with the exception of one year when we weren't out here for... I don't even know why people made that decision. This is like 20 years that I've been here, and um, not here for all of them, but almost all of them. Now she's the boss, uh, the executive director, CEO of the State Fair, Kathleen O'Leary. Hello.
6: Happy day nine of the Wisconsin <laughs> State Fair.
0: <laughs> you, um, you you've, uh, Okay, l- l- let's let's get a couple of the bad things out of the way, just the right first before we start talking about the other stuff. Um, you made national news with a couple that decided to, instead of getting a room... Um, use the Coliseum down there.
6: Yep, some people <laughs> just don't make good choices. <laughs>
0: it, 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 it's just—it's kind of like mind. I actually walked down there, Kathleen. I was kind of looking. I was trying to figure out what about this particular area would inspire romance, and I, it, just, it was beyond me.
6: <laughs> I don't even want to think. How they thought it was anywhere near right or appropriate, right. Um, but yes, that is definitely going to be something that we will will be part of the 2017 legacy. <laughs> right.
0: But at the same time, I mean, it, it's just it's it's one of those. Get, how many people will you have here during the run of the fair? Around a million or so ballpark. <laughs>
6: For the last four years, we've had a million. So, yeah. million three, million fifteen, right. million thirty. Um, so, I'm hoping that you know we'll see that again. But again, it's not as much about the million mark, right. and it really, really isn't. It's about whether it's nine hundred and fifty thousand whether it's a million fifteen thousand it's just about the experience and we really want all yeah. of those people that have had a good experience when they were here
0: which is why I mean I just say I mean when you have that many people coming through a, a place over the course of eleven days you're, you're going you're going to have that sort of bizarre um one-off type of thing and that's really i guess you got it you sure have, i mean it's not funny but you have to smile about it i guess at some level <laughs>
6: and you know what it's it, i do at first i wasn't and then <laughs> the sensationalizing of the story gets keeps gets getting talked about but after wednesday which was hump day i decided right. that i was going to let it go
0: you got exactly <laughs> then so thanks jeff for bringing it back up but uh, it was interesting um Obviously, the weather. We were talking about this, and, and the one thing I, I know from people who do what you do, or whether it's Don Smiley's Summerfest or the ethnic festivals, is um, there's always a degree of weather dependency. Um, and even though at the State Fair, even if it rains, I mean, there, there's plenty of things to do and there's plenty of places to go inside. It's been a weird weather um, nine days of the fair. She
6: is. She's unhappy. Oh, she's. I don't know. She Mother Nature just kind of. She can't figure out what she wants to do. But she has definitely made it interesting certainly opening day it wasn't raining on opening day it was something that I don't know that I've ever really seen before Right. Um, the skies opened up, and it, it opened up on five occasions over the course of Thursday. So Thursday was a tough day. Friday, I think I actually felt like a gorilla in the mist, because <laughs> up until about 1 o'clock, it was, the ground wasn't wet, it wasn't on any radar, but it literally was this kind of misty sea right. kind of thing. So that was an interesting one. And then she gave us this amazing stretch from right. Saturday up until yesterday, and really yesterday, as much as it threatened all day and there were severe thunderstorms all around us. We actually never felt a drop of rain here at State Fair Park. But people get worried. But to your point, it is just amazing in the sense that if you were planning, I mean, we don't foresee any rain for the next couple days um, until we close. But this is where we are different. We are very weather-dependent, but we have 20 acres of indoor facilities, so you can bop in to the 200,000-square-foot exposition center and shop while it rains mm-hmm. and then come out and go to any of the pavilions, and certainly all of our barns are covered. But um, this today, even with the cloud cover, this is the oh, ideal oh, yeah. weather because it's eating weather, it's drinking weather, the kids aren't crabby weather, you stay longer weather.
0: <laughs> you know, One of the things I notice, and I, I'm, I'm not trying to be too much of a cheerleader, but it is, people, People are in good moods. I mean, I, I I get a chance to interact with people, and I go outside the booth and stuff. And I'm, I'm here day after day, and and people are genuinely in a good mood. They look forward to the fair, and they enjoy coming, and they intend to enjoy themselves.
6: And that is why I've been doing this for 20 years. It's why my staff and I work tirelessly to do this so that people can do this. This is, and this is the 166th Wisconsin State Fair. So steeped in tradition, 125th here on these 200 acres, and that is the idea behind not only the fair industry but people can come you come with your kids you come with your mom and dad um... you know what i actually think i love to see now and certainly as a mother of three girls i like to see the young parents with their young kids because you can tell that they are kind of trying to do what they you know had lived and grown up on and their traditions and now they're trying to instill their own traditions and that's what we are we're we're steeped in tradition and Love to make memories and start new memories and start new traditions. That's what the fair is all about.
0: I had a lady come in yesterday, and she it was a it was a mother. And a daughter, and then the granddaughter. And so the, the daughter was probably in her 20s. The mom, I'd say, was in her 50s. And I, I actually brought him in the booth, and they said, "This is now the fifth generation of WTMJ listener." You know, so they're they're all out at the at the fair and stuff. And that that is, you know, I know everybody always obsesses about what's new, but I have to tell you, I, I like the tradition. I like coming out here and wandering around, especially on the first day, saying, "Good, I'm I'm glad this booth is still here. I'm glad that booth is still here." It is, it is that tra- traditional stuff. You always want new things, but the old is good too. It's,
6: it, we pride ourselves on keeping those traditions and keeping those things that people love so much, but we like to sprinkle in. We don't want to overhaul and have everything be fresh and new and shiny like a penny. It is just a little, as I'm going to my traditional, I'm going to stop at Saz's and I'm going to go get some flavored milk, and then we're going to start in the barns, and then we'll take the kids down to Spin City. But it's that beautiful thing about, oh, I don't remember that being here. Right. Oh, that's new. Oh, um, that gigantic 15-story <laughs> have you been on I that? I seeing that. Have you been on that? Uh, yes, I have, and it's it's great. It's not thrilling, right? So if you if you don't if you're worried about you know is it going to be scary, it is not scary at all. If you don't like heights, I probably wouldn't recommend it. But right. um, it's just it's nice, and there's six people can fit in the gondola, so you can have again a nice time and a nice experience with your family or your friends or whoever you're with. And then you just go up and you can see the whole fair park. I mean, you certainly can see all 200 acres, but you can see 10 miles. So you can see the lakefront. It's, just, it's really a nice experience.
0: You were extremely proactive. A couple of weeks ago there was the incident at the Ohio State Fair where there was the issue with the, 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 the ride on the Midway that just you know um, ended up breaking down, people getting hurt. You were, you were extremely proactive in dealing with that for this state fair.
6: And we were, and it wasn't as though we did anything different necessarily because it's been six years that we have a rigorous inspection process. And so we weren't reacting to the unfortunate accident that happened. It's been something that we do, and we take very serious. Not only do we work closely with our state inspectors, but we have our own inspection group that's on-site, all the eleven days and they are continually inspecting. Anytime there's any issue, even maintenance, they reinspect and do their multi point inspections before any ride will you know be reopened. So we really pride ourselves, again, we pride ourselves on not only the safety of our rides, but the security here at Wisconsin State Fair. It's not going to guarantee that nothing's going to happen, but I can tell you that it is the initiative of we go to the extreme to do everything we possibly can to ensure safety for all of our fairgoers.
0: I know a lot of people, they think of the fair as being the 11-day experience, but for you, it really is, you know, it's it's a year-round job. Um as we look forward and I don't, I don't understand we've got a couple more days of the fair, but looking forward for years to come, I also know you 're part of a, a again being really proactive in a, a long range planning thing can we, can we talk a little bit about what the plans for the future are
6: sure um, honestly we've you know in this last year since I was officially appointed on october twenty fourth we 've made some great strides we took down the west side marketplace it was a pavilion that didn't meet our standards and hadn't met him for quite a while, and it was just really time. So um, we had put everything in place to do that. And if I was appointed, then we were going to to demolish that and have a brand new footprint. And that is actually the footprint where the new um, the largest traveling wheel is um, over on the west side of the fair park. Um, we've just completed a multi-year project on our electric. So we've removed
0: all of the electrical poles. And I, I, a lot of people have noticed. You know, I it's I, I didn't notice that at first. It seems less crowded. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know how else to explain it. Even when there's a lot of people here, and then somebody, I think it was Saz, who was actually pointing out to me, that it, I think, he thinks, that, and I agree with him, it's because... Those electric poles are gone. Everything's underground now, right?
6: Yep, it's not sexy. There's nothing woo-hoo about it, except for the fact that not only is it going to be 68 percent more efficiency from our electrical usage, but we are able to program differently. We wouldn't, we couldn't put up clear, you know, clear span tents because we had those light poles and the guide wires and all of that. So now all of that is underground. So. Um, That was completed in spring of this year, so that's wonderful. We took on the the DNR, I mean, in collaboration with DNR and their change and their restructuring, where they just couldn't have that plot of land that they had had for decades and said, can you work with us and can you actually program this for us? So now Exploratory Park is the new name. It has that same sense and that same um, oasis feel, but it's very different, and it's – You know, put some investment into it and shined it up a little bit. So, those are major undertakings because you just can't, you know, it just doesn't happen. The minions I have not found in 20 years, (laughs) I've not found those minions. So, it, it takes a lot of work on the part of staff. As far as, you know, Really right now my my initiative as the CEO and the leader of of, and privileged to be the leader of this great entity is really getting staff from a succession planning standpoint. We have some retirements. I'm really looking at from an internal standpoint again, not not sexy, not anything, but it's but it's it's important. I mean infrastructure
0: and and the organization. I I think a lot of times people who just if you attend the event you don't realize what it takes to put on the event and make it an enjoyable experience, whether it's bathrooms or or the infrastructure, all that stuff. All that
6: stuff. And our buildings are aging. I mean, the, TG, the Tommy Thompson Youth Center. Where we have 7,000 kids in there over the course of these 11 days. It takes a beating. Um, and- been since 1998 I mean that needs a whole new HVAC system I mean those are big dollars our exposition center built in 2002 needs a new roof guess what that's big dollars so it's really taking care of the facilities and then always dressing something up and doing something different so that's where the next three years are from the vision of the, the next 10 years it's exciting and you know mm-hmm. stay tuned because there'll be some good things happening well that,
0: that's very cool all right I, I always ask you this all right Kathleen O'Leary uh, executive director CEO of the State Fair you're, you're off the clock for an hour. You get to wander around the state fair and pick out a couple things that you're going to eat. Give me one or two. Well, first, I'm never off the clock for an hour. It was I, 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 okay, <laughs> but I, I was setting up what we call a hypothetical. All right. Theater of the
6: mind. <laughs> yeah. um, I have to say, it, and it is the Sporky's winner, and I have lots of favorites, and this is not preferential treatment, but I do have to say that, and I'm not a big eater, so I, I don't eat a lot during the fair. I think I'm probably the only one that loses weight during the fair, but, I loved the spaghetti and meat. Oh my goodness, it's delicious I actually think about it. I'm thinking about it right now. <laughs> <laughs> so that has been a new favorite. I love the bison burrito. That's uh-huh. one of my favorites as well. I love the chips and blue at, at Slim's. So mm-hmm. those are I would say that those are probably my top
0: I have not three. had I have not had the the Sporky Winter, but everybody raves about it, the Albanese thing. I'm an omelet. I actually I, I was very proud of myself this year. I not only had my first omelet; effect, I had the first omelet they made.
6: Ooh, at the Wisconsin
0: Product. Right. I, I, I just think that's one of the best deals going. Like the the Future Farmers of America. I got here early Thursday, and that they were just starting to cook, so I, I got I was number one.
6: There you so go. It worked and, out. And they're just delicate and they're delicious. The duck fajita is very good as well. Okay,
0: so what do we got coming up over the weekend?
6: Um, we will. Sabrina Carpenter is going to kind of go towards our younger audience. For she'll be on the main stage tonight. Patty Labelle is on Saturday. And then we'll close out with Alan Jackson, and I would be remiss if I didn't say one of my favorite events and certainly um, something near and dear to my heart with my oldest daughter being a first lieutenant in the United States Air Force. But. Um, we will have our Military and Veteran Day on Sunday. So if you, have, if you have served our country, if you are serving our country in some way, if you have your military ID, not only will you get into the Wisconsin State Fair for free, but you can bring three other family members or friends. It doesn't matter. Um, and it's just a little way for us to say thank you for all that you do. We dedicate the entire day. Our Central Park that's right across from here from the station is all about from Veterans Affairs. So there's all different d- displays and exhibits. Um, and then we dedicate our our daily parade that will step off at 2 o'clock to our military and veterans
0: Yeah, so that's Sunday veterans, military personnel and their family members mm-hmm. which is so very cool receive free admission to the fair until 4pm so yeah. um, that's great Kathleen O'Leary it is always a pleasure um, I, I, I'm always I, wistful I mean I, I can't wait for the fair to come and then it's it's just it, it's just over so quickly easy for me to say though huh?
6: <laughs> it is day 9 and there are only three days and look at what's happening the sun is breaking out just as we're about to finish this little
0: interview Uh, Kathleen O'Leary, CEO of the Wisconsin State Fair, thanks for joining me. Thank you, Jeff. All right, we're back with more in just a minute. It's 1048. 10.52, 10.52, Jeff Wagner, 6.20 WTMJ. The Brewers' homestand continues as they turn their attention back to NL Central play. The Reds are in town for a weekend series that starts tonight. We'll send it out to Bob and Jeff to begin our coverage at 6.35 here on WTMJ. For everybody who is upset with the Brewers, I, again, I, I said this earlier, let me be my glasses half-full guy. Um, the, the Brewers are in the middle of a rebuilding process. If we were sitting on opening day... And we said, "Hey, you're you're two thirds, three quarters of the way through the season, and the team is above 500." I think everybody would say, "Yeah, it, it's it's on track," and that that's where they they stand. Now they're they're in a bad stretch. Can't sugarcoat it. Can't be the glasses have full guy on that. But the truth is, if you look at the the body of work, I mean, they're they're probably where they are. It seems to me they're about a 500 team. They're over 500. You'd like to see them not completely give back the early success, but they are what they are, and um, hopefully you can build on this and use this as an opportunity to figure out who can play and who can't play. That's my little dissertation on baseball. Thanks to Kathleen O'Leary. She has been a friend for a long time. Um, I think one of the outstanding decisions that state officials made were... um, when the opportunity presented itself, hiring Kathleen to be the uh, CEO, she's somebody who um, works tirelessly and cares very much about the uh, about the State Fair. We have a particularly attractive crowd out there. Give yourselves a round of applause there. All right. Absolutely. You are very cute. Absolutely. I tell you, see, that that is the great thing about the Fair, too, that you have you know, multi-generations of people who come, including some, very attractive young people who are waving, and uh, it's great. You've got a couple more days. The weather is going to be perfect. It's going to be absolutely um, Chamber of Commerce days uh, in the forthcoming. Um, we've got a couple of things coming up before we do the Week in Review. Susie Falk and uh, Tracy Johnson are going to be joining me from our State Fair broadcast facility. Um, before that, I want to talk about efforts to bring back Midwest Express Airlines and a lot of Applebee's closing across the country. Uh, I don't believe any in Wisconsin, but you know, I have a theory as to why they are all closing. I'll share that with you as well. It's 1054. This is Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. We're broadcasting live from the Wisconsin State Fair. It's 1057, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. How does Waukesha County stand to benefit from the massive Foxconn project? John McCure gets the answer from County Executive Paul Farrow live at 334 during Wisconsin's afternoon news. As with Scafidi and Bill Stead, John is going to be broadcasting live from the state fair as well. Be sure, if you're coming out to the fair... Be sure and stop off and say hello. We love seeing everybody as you come by and watch us while we work. The only deal is, you know, you get to see what we look like, and we get to see what you like look like as well. So it's it's always fun. Yeah, I mean, there's one story after another, and I just I, we were talking about Foxconn, and we will obviously continue to do that. It's just the, uh, the 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 ankle biting that is going on on this project is just absolutely amazing to me. Um, including from, including from certain sources that you would expect to be cheerleaders for this, that have been cheerleaders for projects that have a lot more questionable value, like for example the Bucks Arena. And I'm not against the Bucks Arena. I, I'm not. I, I think you know it's going to be worth the expenditure and it'll pan out in the long run. But the truth of the matter is, if you could be in favor of the Bucks Arena, you know intellectually. There's no way that you could possibly be opposed to Foxconn because the economic impact of Foxconn has the potential to dwarf, dwarf the impact of say a downtown arena for you know billionaires and millionaires. Again, I'm not against the downtown arena, and matter of fact, I think you know if you looked at what's going on with the downtown arena, you've seen all sorts of money going into the local economy, hiring the construction workers, doing that. Foxconn is going to be the Bucks Arena on steroids. But, for example, from the perspective of the local newspaper, which was an incredible cheerleader for a downtown arena, how you can be skeptical of Foxconn at the same time is just beyond me. Okay, coming up in just a couple minutes, some people want to revive Midwest Express Airlines. I appreciate the sentiment, but my take is good luck with it. We'll talk about it in just a minute. It's 10.59. This is Jeff Wagner. We're broadcasting live from the Wisconsin State Fair. It's 1108. This is Jeff Wagner. This is my last hour broadcasting from the 2017 Wisconsin State Fair. We've got the Week in Review coming up in about 25 minutes. All right. I, I, I've told this story before. Um, back in the heyday of Midwest Express Airlines, um, I used to travel a lot for business. In particular, when I worked for the federal government, I, I used to bounce back and forth between Washington, D.C. and, and here a lot. And, and Midwest Express... My gosh, that was the way to go. They had a daily flight that left relatively early in the morning. So you could get on the flight. You could get out there. I forget what time it got in, like 8 or 9 o'clock in the morning. But you could get to D.C. in time to do your business, their time. Then they had a flight coming back that was like at 7 o'clock at night, D.C. time. So you you could do turnaround trips, and it was great. And going out, oh, my goodness. I mean, they'd serve you. It's, you had the big leather seats and they'd serve you, they had champagne in the morning if you wanted it, and they'd serve you breakfast. And then coming back, your choice was a steak dinner or some lobster and stuff like that. It was just, it was, it was amazing. And it was interesting. I can remember being on that flight back from D.C., and you'd see the entire Wisconsin congressional delegation. I mean, seriously, they'd be going back and forth. It was It was a golden era of air travel. Um, As recent, I mean, 2007, just 10 years ago, um, Midwest, and it was Midwest Express, and then it became Midwest Airlines. um, At one point in time, in 2007, they controlled over half the the passenger traffic market at at Mitchell International. Now, those, those early days of Midwest Express, the, you know, two across leather seats, Um, The the chocolate chip cookies, which were always, that was one of the signature things. I could live without the chocolate chip cookies. I mean, I liked the the wide leather seats. I liked the two-across seating. I liked all the other stuff. Um, It was just the the nonstop destinations. It was just a great way to travel. The problem was that that those days, unfortunately, are are gone. Because what happened is competition, not not just competition in the airline industry, but, but costs. And the bottom line, really, in my opinion, kind of drove Midwest out of out of business. Because while people like the amenities, while you like the two across seating, while I love the here, have a glass of wine for free, while you have your steak, while people love that, the problem was you have to charge for it, and the economics of it became it just became people wouldn't pay for it. You you, you know nowadays. For air travel, from the perspective of air travel, let's face it, you want to get through TSA. You want to get on your plane. You hope that the plane leaves close to on time. You figure that you're going to be crammed into a plane where it's going to be almost always full. You hope that the plane gets where it's going close to on time, and you hope that your bags get there with you. I mean, that's if there was ever any cachet about air travel, that's gone. But Midwest Express was the glory days. But Midwest Express just got priced out of it because people couldn't afford or would, weren't willing to afford paying for the various amenities. So at the end of the day, Midwest became like any other airline and then got taken over, and so it, it doesn't exist. And I bring this up because there's a story that's been out there from earlier this week that there are there's a handful of investors who have apparently you know, bought the, the name, and the people that used to run Midwest are not not involved in this now. And they are trying to, they're looking for investors. They are trying to bring back Midwest Express Airlines. Um, you know, and the people behind this are saying, we have people we're working with. We're not ready to make an announcement now, but this is kind of exciting. You know, we, we've got this name. You know, we, we'd like to bring the airline back. All right. 414-799-1620. That is the Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I do not mean to be this negative Nelly about this. I loved the old Midwest Express, later Midwest Airlines. I, I did. But at the same time, that concept, that the way they operated 20 years ago, I am afraid is gone, and, and it's not coming back. I just don't see people being willing. Nowadays, Air travel is all about cheap. Let's get the cheapest flights we can. Let's pour into the you know the, the seats and let let's get there. I just don't see people being willing to pay what you would need to pay to operate anything along the lines of what they used to have and make it profitable. I just think the entire industry has changed. I would love to have Midwest Express operating like it did in 1997. Believe me, I I would. But I am afraid those days are gone, and I think any effort to revive the name is just going to end up in people being disappointed. 414-799-1620, that is the acunate mortgage talk and text line. Would you be willing to pay, because that's what the bottom line is, would you be willing to pay more, perhaps substantially more, to have the what I will describe as luxury that was offered on the old Midwest flights. I I would love to have it. I just don't think in large numbers people are going to be willing to pay for that. 414-799-1620, and that to me is what dooms the effort. We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. If you want to join us, 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. It's 1114. This is Jeff Wagner. We're broadcasting live from the Wisconsin State Fair. Again, a particularly attractive crowd here at State Fair. Here, let's uh, give yourselves a round of applause, everybody. Okay, there we go. I can't believe State Fair. I always have to do that because sometimes people listening say, are they really out at the State Fair? Is this is this really happening? Yes, we are really out here at the State Fair. Look, I, I hate to be a negative Nelly when it comes to this story. I I love the old Midwest Express Airlines, and it became Midwest Airlines. But the, the problem was the economic model just didn't make sense anymore. People... People aren't willing to spend the money for the type of luxury experience that that Midwest offered. And they were able to do it somehow in the 80s and the 1990s, but I just don't see it coming back. Matter of fact, the trend is exactly the opposite in the airline industry, as more and more carriers go to more and more bare-bones type of operations where everything is a la carte. I don't like it. Wish it wasn't going on, but that's the reality. Tim in Wauwatosa. Tim, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning.
3: Yeah, hey, Jeff. Hi, Tim. Um, hey there. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you. I just don't think it's a viable economic model. I travel every week and half since 1990. Um, at that time, you know, it, it's romantic to want a luxury or quasi-luxury airline out of Milwaukee, um, but what the product was was not truly a luxury um, first class and a standard right. carrier was, was a notch above. Yet it carried a premium price. Uh, Additionally, the um, and I don't know if this going forward, but
1: the route
3: coverage was not sufficient for my needs. So you combine the two of them, and you know I'm I'm a slave to the to the common carrier, and um, you know it just doesn't it doesn't make sense. And and frankly, someone who travels a lot, you get upgraded, so you do get a standard first class experience, right? um, Without having to pay the premium. Etc. So yeah, I, yeah.
0: I, I wish them all the best. But... I yeah, I do. I do too. Th- thanks for the call. And I am incredibly nostalgic about it. But there's lots of things that I, I am nostalgic about, and you kind of wish you could turn back the clock. I mean, I I was saying for years and years. I mean, we went through a period that really was the golden age of air travel in Wisconsin, because in, in Milwaukee in particular, because you know you had all these different air carriers that were competing. I would love to see them come back, but unless you had somebody who really had. I want to say more money than common sense and was willing to underwrite it. Also, the airline business is incredibly, incredibly competitive nowadays. You see all these carriers that are struggling. That's why that's why they're in the position of cutting back. They say, okay, we we we've got to cut back a couple inches of leg room. So the idea is maybe we can get an extra row of passengers in and things like that. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. I wish I hope they succeed. And I don't mean to be throwing cold water on this But I think this is way premature. I guess I'm going to believe it, you know, when I see it. Deb in Milwaukee. Deb, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning.
4: Good morning. I am a former employee back in the heyday that you speak of. (laughs) And uh, two reasons. I, I, too, my heart is still with Midwest Express. But I agree with you 100% for for just two reasons, and there's many more. But the two that come to mind for me are, first of all, when we When we were in our heyday, we catered to the business traveler. Right. Newspapers at the gate, coffee, able to do your ticket exchanges and et cetera at the gates, extra costs, so on and so forth. But we have since, I saw them, as time went on, it became leisure travel. Right. And you're correct. People wanted the, the cheapest way to get from point A to point B. The amenities were gone. But the the biggest factor there was the fuel cost, right. and what you know people don't realize is that it, it's so vulnerable. When you saw the cost of fuel at the pumps go up a penny, that equated to about a million dollars a year. Mm-hmm. And, uh, right. <laughs> tough. Tough. I mean, we're we're doing okay right now with fuel costs, but the vulnerability of that is those two reasons alone. Right. I don't see it ever coming back
0: well and you talk about you know business travel it's a different time nowadays and I, I know that's what Midwest went through because there there's been there's been a dramatic cutback in business travel you know Absolutely. over the last decade I mean it's it's and I'm not saying people don't travel for business they obviously still do but nowadays with teleconferencing and corporate cutbacks and all rather exactly. than just saying let's put eight people on a plane and send them to New York for the day now it's hey can we hook up the teleconference and and everybody sits in different right. conference rooms, and that, that's just right. the way it is. Yeah.
4: And and these business travelers, they, they don't have the expense accounts they once had. Right. It, it just isn't there anymore. Right. But uh, it was. It was, and always will be in my mind, the best. The best oh. carrier.
0: Oh, a- and, absolutely. You know,
4: when 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 they came to the point where they decided to make the big decision and spend millions to change it from uh, from Midwest Express to Midwest Airlines. Because those of us locally, we, we we knew what the airline was all about. But if you were not local, Express always sounded more like a commuter type of plane, without right. all these great amenities. So you, you know, we invested a lot to change that name. But ironically, at the same time, that's when things really shifted in the industry right. for us. And yeah, it, it yeah. was just a great memories of Midwest Airlines. We still have reunions uh, the people that once worked there still have a great heart it, it had you know it gets in your blood it, it really gets in your blood the airline industry and oh. people are a little different it's a little it's a little more stressful than it once was uh but it there's really something uh you'll always have a great well, place for it in your heart if you worked at midwest
0: thanks for the call deb i appreciate it and again i don't mean to be a cold blanket on this but i'm just I, i'm I, I mean i saw this story and i was thinking okay As much as I would love to see the Midwest Express, or the Midwest, but the Midwest Express that I remember from the 80s come back, I just, I mean, there was a reason why... It's like why old girlfriends are always old girlfriends or why old boyfriends are always old boyfriends. Trust me, you might forget, but there's a reason why. And as much as I love Midwest Express Airlines, there was a reason why it ended up ultimately, you know, going under and disappearing. Um, Let's see. Carol and Bayview writes, bring back Midwest Airlines and Mater's catering great food for Midwest. The warm chocolate chip cookies were the bomb. Yeah, they they were. The chocolate chip cookies were great. Again, I, I like the two across seating and stuff like that more. But the problem is... I think people just weren't willing to pay for that, and I don't see that dynamic changing. And, again, my, my trend is, as I look at more and more airlines going to the lower-cost model. Uh, Greg and Appleton text, the service would be great for business travel, but the company I work for is trying to trim costs. The travel agency they work with would never ever book a more expensive flight just because I would be more comfortable. Yeah, and again, I if they can figure out a way to w- make it work, I say go with God. I mean, I do that. That that's absolutely tremendous. But um, for the leisure traveler, you are going to be cost conscious. You know, what's what's the cheapest, most efficient way I can get to you know Las Vegas? All right, figure figure that out, and if i got to pay more, I might be willing to pay a little bit more to fly direct, but would I pay a lot more to get a couple chocolate chip cookies? I, I just don't know that that model works. If they can pull it off or they have somebody with really, really deep pockets who's willing to, in the name of nostalgia, try to bring this up with the idea that they're going to lose a couple hundred million dollars out of the shoot, well, okay, fine, let me know, and I'll I'll be the first to buy a ticket. It is 1125. We're broadcasting live from the Wisconsin State Fair. This is Jeff (music) Wagner. It's 11 Jeff Wagner, six twenty. WTMJ. Are the Packers a Super Bowl contender? See where they stack up in Wayne Larrabee's first preseason power poll. That's in his blog, up now, online at WTMJ.com. It's also part of Wayne's latest podcast, the play-by-play on our mobile app. Okay. Um, now we were talking about Midwest Express, which I have, I have fond memories of, and, and you'd love to see him bring it back. That would be just absolutely tremendous. Um, another interesting story um, again, from from something that used to be really good, Applebee's. Um, Applebee's, um, which has let's see, what do they have total? Um, they've got 33 restaurants in Wisconsin. Applebee's announcing that sometime over the course of the next year, they are going to be closing up to 135 Applebee's restaurants because apparently the the restaurants are, well, they're, they're kind of struggling. Um, none. None of the Wisconsin franchises are going to be closing, so this is all going to be nationwide. Um, I was kind of thinking about that, because just like I have fond memories about Midwest Express Airlines, the flip side is Applebee's. I I was not surprised to see this announcement, because the last two or three times that I have been in Applebee's restaurants, how can I say this? They've sucked. I I was, you know, I, I have a... I'm pretty tolerant. It it takes a lot for me to just really say, ooh, th- this isn't this is this is bad." But I I, mean, I I tolerate a lot of stuff. And I understand that, you know, the, the Applebee's, for example, the model is like this sort of like casual dining thing. So you're not going to be expecting like the finest stuff. The last couple times, time I mean, I will tell you, the last 3 times I've been to an Applebee's restaurant, the experience has been such that I have always said, this is so bad, I am never going back there again. And then on two other occasions, I've gone back. And then I said, God, I remember. This place was just awful. I can't believe that I went into this place. And then I'm never coming back. And then I went back. And after the third time, it was the charm. Um, so, I mean, I don't know. I, again, and I, I, I understand that there's some of these, you know, some of the places in the casual dining segment like Panera and Chipotle, you know, Chipotle they, they're succeeding and they're doing really well. Um, you know, Applebee's is having a, a hard time, and while it is unfortunate that any place would end up closing, I, I saw this story, and I thought, yeah, it, it's just kind of about time, because I don't think it's just me. I, I think just in, in general, and maybe it's the particular Applebee's that I went in that, that sucked especially bad, but I, I will tell you, I'm, I'm not surprised to see Applebee's closing. have fond memories of Midwest Express. Applebee's, eh, okay, don't let the door hitch on the way out. But at least right now, no closures in Wisconsin. All right, coming up in just a couple minutes, we've got the week in review. Tracy Johnson, Susie Falk. It's 1134, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. We are broadcasting live from the Wisconsin State Fair. Um, here, everybody, give yourselves a round of applause. Yeah, there you go. All
3: right. <laughs> Hello, everybody. Yeah. Uh,
0: see, that's um. You yeah, know, we have we, got uh, our week in review. We've got Susie Falk from Falk Group PR. Hello, welcome back. Oh, thank you. What a great day to be at the fair. And Tracy Johnson from the Commercial Association of Realtors, who is here with your family.
7: I am here with my two kids, Zach and Charlie. They, they are, are right so outside. cute. <laughs> yeah, oh my
0: we, we, we took a couple <laughs> photos before that. That's going to be up on your for the for the millions of people who follow you on Facebook and stuff. <laughs> right. It's going to be, keep track. They'll be sitting there. Okay. It is the week in review. Glad to have you with us. Let's get started. Um, let's talk about an international story. North Korea has been a problem for the world for decades. Um, this week, in response to North Korean missile tests and information suggesting that they now have the ability to perhaps put small nuclear warheads on ballistic missiles, which could reach. Hawaii or the West Coast of the United States. President Trump uh, engages in some rhetoric where he says, look, if if they attack us, we're going to respond with fire and fury like the world has never seen. Some people criticizing him. Tracy Johnson, was the president's rhetoric irresponsible?
7: No, it was right on point, I think. And hopefully his rhetoric, people know that his rhetoric will be followed up with action, unlike the administrations before. And Let's, let's face it, that's why we're in this position in the first place, is because all the administrations before were saying, hey, we're going to you know, fight them and we're going to do this and that, but they never did anything, and so it continued to mount. And you have now leadership and the people who are all supporting him. I think we should be more concerned with the fact that they threatened to, to, to bomb us or bomb a U.S. territory.
0: As opposed to what he said in response yeah. to that. Okay, Susie Falk, you have been a frequent critic of the Trump administration. What do you think about the president's rhetoric, responsible or not?
8: I'm concerned about it. Um, I I think we're dealing with a crazy man in uh, North Korea. Um, Some would argue that there's a crazy man in this country, too. But let's look back at the Soviet Union, okay? After the Cuban Missile Crisis and after John F. Kennedy died, um, his wife wrote a letter to Khrushchev, and, and she said, "It's the, the wars are not going to be started by big men, even though she disagreed with Khrushchev and and um, you know whatever. She said the wars are going to be started by little men like Fidel Castro. Okay, Kim Jong Un is a little man, and he's a crazy man, yep. and I don't think you need two bullies on the. Playground, saying no, you're you're an idiot. No, you're an idiot. No, I'm going to I'm going to punch you, and then you're never going to see the light of day. I just think bullying doesn't work in this case. Well, what I'd like, down, what, but I, what is, I would like to see happen is some more diplomacy. I think Rex Tillerson's onto something. I think if you can get several countries to sit down and say, no, North Korea, you don't behave like that, and we will not allow for this
0: to happen. But the problem is. We've been trying that for decades, and the guy's response has been to continue developing the missiles. Oh no, I'm not
8: saying that. We we can go back three administrations, okay? Bush. We've got Clinton that didn't do anything. Obama didn't do anything. We are at a critical point right now. It doesn't help to have bullying going on, and with this talk. And I will say this: locked and loaded. Okay, that was the new phrase, tweet that came out this morning, locked and loaded. There was a parenthetical that was attached to that, which is, we're ready to blow you down if you, if you. Okay, the problem is headlines never come out with the parenthetical. All you're going to be reading about is locked and loaded, so and that sounds like a threat. Well, blame the media. Whatever. You have to be left. careful of the words you choose to use when you're talking about a nuclear war.
7: The media should be, well, be very careful about that. I agree. Yeah. so should the President of the United you know. States. But here's the, the definition of insanity is to continue to do the same thing and, and expect a different result. What, what we've got now is... We are going to back our rhetoric with action. And I think the world knows that. And I think that's scary to some people, but I think it's necessary. And, and if that's what it's going to take, here's the deal. Trying to negotiate with China and trying to do these sanctions, we tried all this. It's, it's not working. And frankly, if you want to put more pressure on China and the allies, then, 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 then try it for a while. But let's be honest. If they launch a nuclear weapon, I, I sure as heck hope we respond and that we respond with fury.
0: I think, um, I guess I, I look at this, I, I, I don't I don't criticize the president like some people did. I mean, because, again, then actually, you were, Susie, you were using the John F. Kennedy example. I mean, I, I was a little bit, you guys were not around during the Cuban Missile Crisis. I was like five or six. But at the, the point, I mean, John F. Kennedy, while not being quite as blunt as Fire and Fury, I mean, he was very clear that, you know, we're not going to allow you know, offensive missiles to go into Cuba. And while perhaps the rhetoric was a little bit dialed down, that was clearly the message he was sending. I agree with you, Tracy. I guess I'm a little bit more concerned that we've got hand-wringing over the rhetoric. Other, oh, oh, more people more concerned about that than the fact that you have a madman who might be able to launch missiles around Guam. Um, hopefully, this is going to get everybody's but attention.
8: The, the scary thing is, this administration does not speak in a unified voice. I don't think the Secretary of State and the Defense Secretary are even speaking the same language. If you look at how they've commented on the tweet, and and what's been discussed, Tillerson is much more about diplomacy, and you have our Secretary of Defense saying, "No, we're going to, you know, we're going to, if we have to, we're going to push the bomb." They need to, what he needs to do is Trump needs to go back to the White House, pull together his Council and say, before we go out with any more messaging, we all have to be in lockstep on this. We are talking about nuclear war.
0: Okay, how does this end? Tracy Johnson. I
7: I think this ends with... Boy, I don't want to oh. say it. <laughs> I have a feeling... Are kids getting drafted? I, I, mean, I,
8: don't
2: honestly, think, I don't
7: think that... We both have boys. I don't think, I'm don't. i scared. I don't think there is all-out war. I believe that they will try to launch... I I think they're going to try to launch something and that we will respond. Now, I don't know if we're going to launch a nuclear warhead. I don't know if we're going to go over there. But I think there's some sort of action. And Okay, why I not containment? What's wrong with containment? Okay, they how, already have oh, a bomb. Okay, how okay, about how, George how, Keenan how, with how, the how Soviet Union? How do you think no, it's going to end?
0: Oh, Well, what I'd like to see happen... How do you think it's going to end? You're looking in your crystal ball. How do you think it's going to end? I think someone's going to
8: say, Donald Trump, you don't want want to be the president that goes to war with North North Korea. Listen to us. We have to use diplomacy. He goes to war, he crushes them. Mm -hmm. He he crushes them, and then guess what? We will never be the same. Do you understand? You get nuclear war happening on Mm -hmm. that peninsula... all right, China's unsettled. I'm looking my
0: own show right here. I tell you, two, you two.
8: <laughs> oh, this is nuclear war, you well, guys. This is, not, this is not just well, bombing Afghanistan. This is well, nuclear well, war. Guam, well, 14 I don't, minutes. Guam, right, 14
0: minutes. Right, but that would be if, if North Korea attacked and if they could figure out a way to make the warhead work. That's not necessarily saying that we would respond with nuclear attacks. The way I think this all ends is I think China is finally starting to wake up um, and recognize that supporting this madman doesn't help i think as soon as china goes along with the un the un uh, sanctions that it's already signed off on i think the north korean economy starts to crumble I think this works out diplomatically. That's my prediction. I hope right? So. <laughs> That's my prediction. Okay, we are back. That's me being the glasses half full. I really think that, I think cooler heads end up prevailing at the end of the day. Um, it is 1143. When we come back, we're talking about Foxconn, politics, and something near and dear to everybody's heart, when school should start. Stick around. This is the Week in Review. It's 1142. It's eleven forty six. Jeff Wagner, six twenty. WTMJ, winding down our time at the State Fair. It's the Week in Review. Susie Falk, Tracy Johnson, story number two. Okay, reports this week. We've talked about Foxconn before. Uh, they estimate that the payback period for Foxconn, the the money that the taxpayers not necessarily would advance but would lose in tax credits or things like that, it exceeds twenty five years. Should we pass on this deal, Susie Falk?
8: Yep, you bet we should. Um, what investment you know starts producing dividends in, in year one, year two? We expected it would take some years before we see the dividends, but it's not just Foxconn and, and that money that comes in. You've got ancillary businesses, you have the housing boom that's going to take place. This is good for our morale, for the economy, for perception, for other businesses that are looking to to be
7: near Foxconn. Absolutely. Tracy Johnson. I'm really struggling to find the people you know, who are, who are against it. And I don't think anybody wants to be the one to, to kill this deal, even though people are putting up the cautionary flags. Um, But but it's interesting when you look at the report that shows that payback period, it uses what's called static scoring, so it doesn't take into account, like you said, all the ancillary benefits, any increases in wages, and so I'm not sure exactly what that estimated payback would be, but it certainly is is probably less than 25 years. In fact, I just heard from from a, a group that said it would probably be less than 25 years, so I think well, we need to keep that right, in. Right, right.
0: Plus, it's such a larger picture too. I mean, yeah. Foxconn up front is talking about a ten billion dollar investment. Um, let, let's not talk about the taxes that they might pay, and and manufacturing companies in the state get a break, so there's a lower payback period. But they're talking about putting ten b as in billion dollars up front. Um, hiring people who are going to build i mean you know tracy you 've been involved with you know the the, the bucks arena okay you 're going to have to build this facility people are talking about spending billions of dollars, much of which is going to go to Wisconsin companies that are going to be constructing this thing mm-hmm. you 're going to have hundreds of millions of dollars of payroll every year. I guess, I, I mean, I understand that some people have political motivations, but I'm with you, Susie. I don't understand anybody who could look at this and say, let's pass on it. It doesn't make any sense to me.
7: Mm-hmm. Well, and to even just consider, even though the numbers show that they will be getting definitely significant breaks from the manufacturing tax breaks, from the, the, the property tax mm-hmm. tax breaks, uh, but looking at it as a catalyst... Plain and simply as a catalyst, everything else that will come from it, whether it's the infrastructure spend, whether it's the, you know, the construction jobs, this is a this is a good deal. They expect that it's going to pass by the end of the month, right? Um, and I'm I'm actually encouraged that they're kind of talking about the state budget at the same time because we definitely need that pass mm-hmm. too. So mm-hmm. I support that as well.
8: You talk about big picture, Jeff. It's it's the potential investment in other areas that we haven't even talked about which like cancer research you know Gao if he, if he right. I hope he's like the Bucks owners and he puts his money where his mouth is and he does do things like invest in cancer research at the UW and elsewhere this is this is there. there's so much good that can come out of this I think it, it behooves our, our representatives though to obviously create um, legislation that is thoughtful but then mm-hmm. also the contract that is being reviewed right. I, I know that we had Fitzgerald I believe
6: yeah, um, Fitzgerald. was saying
8: look at You know, can't we have a timeline with some deadlines for job creation? I know that's not part of the legislation. Can we put that in the contract? And I think it has
0: to be in the contract. Right, to give everybody protection. And, of course, at the same time, it's not like we're just writing a check for $3 billion. I mean, this is – a lot of that comes in the form of tax breaks and tax credits and things like that. So if you – Yes, if Foxconn pat or we pass on Foxconn, you don't have to shell out with any money. But also, you got no money coming back. I, I don't know. I, I do feel sorry for
8: the farmers, though. The the folks down wherever we're seeing that they don't want to part necessarily with that. We're land. going to be
0: able to sell I, <laughs> land for seven thousand dollars an acre for no, fifty okay, thousand dollars an acre. Uh, yeah, I should yeah, feel right, sorry I, for I, that. I'm,
8: <laughs> oh, come on! That's hard to give up land that's been in the family for multi generations. Oh. Well, yeah. price.
0: I my my guess is that most of most of they're, they're, I'm sure there will be holdout, but once they decide on location, <laughs> my guess is. Most people will say, "Oh, oh this let's is, do it." Th- that's it. Okay, let, let's switch gears. Okay, you you both are, are moms. I'm really curious about this. This is um, in Wisconsin. We have a law that says, as a general rule, school cannot start before September 1st. Um, there, MPS has gotten a waiver. It's very difficult to do this. Mm-hmm. Some MPS schools start in a week and a half. A lot of parochial schools go back before uh, September 1st. I have always thought it makes no sense to have a one-size-fits-all law that says school has to start after September 1st, but that's kind of a sloppy wet kiss to the tourism industry. But, okay, moms, Tracy, <laughs> what do you think about early starts for school?
7: Well, I think that early starts for school is, is, is just the way that we're going. You look at these schools that are going year-round. It's it's just you, you have to get used to it. And um, I would love to see, though, Every school start after Labor Day. Forget September 1st, but after Labor Day.
0: So yeah, so September 7th, September, September 8th. September
7: 7th, September 8th. I mean, from a vacation perspective, even when we want to take the kids to the to the pool, I mean, there's so much summer left. It's it's kind of a, a pain in the butt to try to plan around that. Okay. So I think they should put it off later. But it's a, it's we're going to have to get used to it.
8: You hit it. There's so much summer left. There is so much summer, and it's too much summer. Honestly, I think by August, I've got teenagers. You know, they're they're, just they're ready itching to go back. To to go back. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I'm ready to send them back. And you know what? <laughs> if, no, three months is too air long. Air
8: conditioning in schools. So uh, well, that will one be one expensive. Absolutely. Air well, air no,
0: well see, but that's why, I, I, if it were up to me, if I were the king, I would leave it up to the discretion of individual school districts. Because I mean, I I, I understand the air conditioning thing. So maybe you look at MPS and you say, hey, it's going to be really hot at the end of August. We don't have air conditioning in the schools. We want to push it back. On the other hand, maybe in Superior, that's not an issue. So the folks in Superior decide, okay, let's 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 have it earlier. I mean, to me, I don't have anything necessarily wrong with starting school after September 1st, but I think it should be up to the local school districts to decide what makes most... Wisconsin Dells, where you've got the huge tourism thing, Fine. I mean, I get it. You don't want the schools going back. Yeah.
8: Can we also just talk about the kids? And my parents were teachers. My mom taught elementary school. She would spend the entire month of September getting kids caught up from what they learned last year. And it just—it's to, to me too much time goes by from when they get out in early June to they start in September. They're forgetting. They're missing out. Year-round
0: school six okay. makes okay. so much sense. Did you feel that way when you were a kid? No. I love summer. Are you kidding? Okay, my, right, kids are, right. my kids are hating okay, on I just, me right I just now. Want, I just want to make sure that we were doing a do as I say, not as yeah, I do. Right. Okay, that's fair enough. But,
8: but, but also, it's, it's the year-round school. Yeah, that's if a I were a parent and I wanted to participate in the choice program, I would definitely consider year-round school because I would want my kids to have their mind active during the right. summer, and not sitting around on their electronic devices, which right. becomes a real problem.
7: Yeah. Well, it, well, And then you overlay you know, the fact that, we're working moms, right? That I mean, that I think further complicates things. And then when you have kids going to schools that start on different dates, we had registration for my youngest yesterday. Hmm. It's, okay. it's crazy. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, that, that's why I'm so Beat impressed with both of you. You are you are multitaskers. Okay, <laughs> we're gonna take a quick break. When we come back, it's the Right Stuff Awards. Eleven fifty three. Jeff Wagner, Susie Falk, Tracy Johnson. It is the Week in Review. <laughs> Eleven fifty six. This is the Week in Review. Jeff Wagner, Suzy Falk, Tracy Johnson. Um, our Right Stuff Award, Susie Falk.
8: The Wisconsin State Fair. I'm going to give my uh, award to Kathleen O'Leary and her team. It's been an incredible run. I had the pleasure of coming out here Monday and spent six hours and about 12,000 steps walking around, showing my nephew a wonderful time. The Wisconsin State Fair is looking great, and it's a fabulous place to come and learn about our agrarian roots and sample some good food and get some
7: exercise.
0: Susie Johnson Susie Johnson (laughs) Tracy Johnson
7: Johnson. (laughs) My Right Step Award This week goes to Mitt Romney Mitt Romney gets My Right Step Award Because it was Five years ago Today that he Announced uh, Paul Ryan As his vice Presidential running mate, And um, I believe That that was The the platform That really got him To the position That he's in And look at All the good That he's done As the the calm In the storm (laughs) At the Capitol And then all the Good things that he's Done for the state Of Wisconsin So
0: My Right Stuff Award winner this week goes to Robin Voss, leader of the State Assembly. I have been critical of Robin for various things, but... He has really um, taken the bull by the horns when it comes to Foxconn and he's got it fast-tracked through the state assembly. Um, Foxconn is going to pass and it's going to go through the state senate as well. But Robin Voss, I think, is showing some leadership. Um, I've criticized him over the budget. That's another story. He gets my Right Stuff award. But Susie, I definitely agree with you. Um, it's been a wonderful state fair. just had Kathleen O'Leary and we spent about 20 minutes talking. Um, it has been memorable. It is always a lot of fun. I want to, before I sign off, say a very special thank you to Everybody who's come out over the course of the Wisconsin State Fair and seen us at the Fishbowl, I very much enjoy doing this. I look forward to it every year. Hope I get a chance to be here next year.